Riggles clear. Might just get the chip, and he does. He scores. Oh, oh what a great goal! And this week, our special guest is a sports writer with The Courier in Dundee. Welcome, Eric Nicholson. Thank you for joining us. How are we doing? Glad to be there, Andy, Tom. Thanks for coming on, Eric. True to form, we've picked out a shoot magazine. The magazine that we've, we've, we've picked out is shoot from the 18th of March, 1989. So as we do, we'll start from the front cover. And it shows an action shot from an Everton versus Wimbledon game. The Everton player, Pat van der Hout, has his eyes fixed firmly on a high ball that he's rising up to win. Watching the ball is John Fashionu of Wimbledon, and he's similarly transfixed by the ball, but Pat looks as though he might be the one that's actually going to win. I think he he looks as though he wants to win that more, doesn't he? What do you reckon? i tell you what, it's a brave, it's a brave man that takes his eyes off... John Fashionu when he's going up for the ball, to be fair, isn't it? You could have a good spot in the ball competition on that one because, you know, if I was part of one, then how I'd be, I would be looking at the man rather than the ball there just to protect myself. <laughs> to, to be fair, he, you know, he was no um, shocking violent himself, was he? No, he, he wasn't. He, he didn't mind going in for a challenge like that. But um, So Everton are kitted out in an old yellow umbro kit with some blue bits around the collar, cuffs and top of the socks. Uh, looks like Pat is wearing some compression shorts underneath as well and... Um, I mean, that that was really, really new, I suppose, at the time, if not even unheard of. I mean, so he must have been one of the first to do that. His boots are Adidas. Yeah, I can't quite make out which style they are. I don't anybody got any thoughts on whether they're just World Cups or something like that? No, I'm not a boot expert, I must admit. Let but me see. I think, yeah. I think let, let me see if I can zoom in a wee bit. I think I've got a... a... I was a Puma King man. There we go. So I, I don't know if they're maybe... Yeah, they, they sort of just look, they look like the ones, I think they've got red around the, the white stripes as well, so maybe round about. Is there a wee autograph on the tongue there, or is it just mud? Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, it might just be mud, but I'm I'm wondering, with it being 1989, maybe it was um, the, the Italian World Cup boots coming up, maybe. Um, that uh-huh. could have been what was going on there. And... The Fash is wearing a blue Hummel kit with yellow chevrons down the arms and shorts. There's yellow piping down the join between the body and arms. And I don't know what you call that bit. The what's that bit called? The piping the it goes down that way. Oh, across the across the shoulder. Yeah. There's a there's a question I wasn't expecting to get asked. I must have there we go. Piping oh, piping across piping, the shoulder will have to do, I think. Shoulder piping. Let's go with shoulder piping, okay. Shoulder piping. Yeah. Um, but the the thing I noticed about Fash there is he's wearing a sweat sweatband. A sweatband, which yeah, was yes. was all the rage back then, and it's the same colour as the kit as well, yellow and purple. And yeah, that, I, I I like sweatbands. I think that's certainly something from the period. The sponsors are the NEC for Everton and Carlsberg for Wimbledon. And the main heading on the front cover in relation to the game reads: "Cup of fears, dawn's warning," and the, the accompanying text. Uh, with the photo says Everton and Wimbledon clash in the big TV cup cracker. Okay, so other things to to note on the front page: it's forty five pence, and it says first on sale with the winning lineup. Uh, there's also Liverpool meet the lunatic, and this is relation to Brentford goalie Tony Park, who they will meet in the FA Cup. Greedy Clough, we can do the hat trick. Brian Clough talks about the Forest's chance in the cup, 
and they have to take on Man United first. Uh, Italia 90 is mentioned with the latest colour action inside from recent qualifying games involving the home nations. There's also an eight-page Scottish Cup special. A photo is of Chris Woods and it's shown along with the text, Chris out of the woods. And lastly, there are team group photos for Brentford and St Johnston. Anybody want to pick anything out from the front page? There's a lot going on, isn't there? I know, you're right with the, the, the sweatbands. That's how I remember fashioning it. And was it... You'd, you'd get the odd headband as well in that Wimbledon team, wouldn't you? Mm. Laurie, Laurie Sanchez, wasn't it? Did he not wear a headband a couple of times? don't know. The only one I can remember is uh, Brighton... Steve Foster. Oh, Steve Foster, Steve Foster. Yeah, he yeah. was. He was definitely one of those. And I think he was a socks around the ankles man as well, wasn't he? Fashionably. Aye, aye. Well, you can see there that there's, there's certainly no socks showing up the up the shins there. Okay, and, and Tom, do you want to pick anything out? Are you okay? Uh, just to go like the strips. It's a nice away strip, Everton, all yellow. There's good contrast mm. there with the Wimbledon's. It's a blue and yellow and uh, the old yellow. I think, yeah, just so you mentioned that, that, do you think that would happen nowadays? With the yellow on both strips, that they would get away with that, or do you think they'd wear oh, like the fifth I strip or something? Not that much on Wimbledon's kit. <laughs> I think that would be all right. Yeah, well, come up, come on, at Dundee the other, the other day, they got away with blue v blue, didn't they? Mm. Is that right? Oh, I like and to I, see that. I saw and St Johnston played Ross County mm. this season, and that was another one that was it was different shades of blue against each other. So I don't, I don't know if they've relaxed the rules up here or what, but mm. a couple, of, yeah, was. You would never get that down south, would you? You'd never get blue v blue. Oh, no, no. And keep pointing out when there's old photographs of Hibs versus Celtic and both of them are wearing green and white. And it's just, uh. it's it looks good. And it's like, that. that's that's gone now because of this kit thing. So I'm, I'm a big fan of just getting on with it. Whatever you're wearing, get on with it. <laughs> okay, let's have a look inside. And we're on pages two and three. And Warring Dawns in a League of Their Own. Um, we have a uh, couple of articles here. First one, Everton can forget Wembley if they get involved in a scrap, says Peter Reid. Peter Reid's at QPR. He says, if Everton go to war with Wimbledon in their FA Cup quarterfinal, they can forget all about going to Wembley, for it comes down to pure power and aggression. My former teammates aren't in the same league as the cup holders. Vinnie Jones has been sent off in his previous two visits to Goodison Park, but Reid doesn't think that there will be any controversial incidents. Everton must not allow themselves to be dragged into a scrap. Reid thinks that the game will depend on Graham Sharp and Trevor Stephen as they can carve open any defence if they are in top form. On Wimbledon's style of play, Reid says, Their style is not my cup of tea, but if they play to their strengths and have developed a system which makes them one of the most difficult teams to beat in the country. Reid picks out Dennis Wise and John Fashionu from the Wimbledon team as being danger men. The main photo shows Everton's Stuart McCall in action against Laurie Sanchez of Wimbledon. Laurie has gone to the ground but looks to have won the ball from McCall. The kits are, the, I think it's from the same game as the, the front page, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, now, just as a wee spoiler, Everton would go on to win 1-0 with a goal in the, in the first half from Pat Nevin. If we move on to pages 4 and 5, we have the Liverpool versus Brentford preview. So the heading here, it's got a photograph of Tony Parks and the heading, I was a lunatic, says Brentford's Tony Parks. Uh, Brentford keeper Tony Parks is back in the spotlight which turned him into a lunatic five years ago. He was Spurs hero the night they won the UEFA Cup in a dramatic penalty shootout against Anderlecht in 1984. But the 26-year-old admits that instant fame pushed him to breaking point and only now can he look back with any degree of perspective on the crazy days that followed. 
he recalls, people were coming up to me in the clubs and patting me on the back when they when the going got tough. A few months later, they were nowhere to be seen. I was a bit of a lunatic back then. I became big-headed and was going out to nightclubs until two or three in the morning. My reputation as a bad boy, plus a drink driving charge, made managers wary when I wanted to leave Spurs. Uh, Brentford boss Steve Perriman had faith in him and has helped him shake off his image. Parts gives some advice to youngsters to be careful who you associate with when things are going well. Now, Brentford meet Liverpool in the sixth round, which is the quarter-final of the FA Cup, and Parks, who celebrated the previous round, went over Blackburn with a forward somersault, says, if Brentford win at Anfield, you'll see something special, more than just a forward somersault. So just as a wee spoiler, they got beat 4-0, so he didn't have to do anything like that. So he played at Falkirk for four seasons between 92 and 96. Played a total of 112 league games. And he's only 5 foot 10, which, you know, nowadays, again, you just think they they wouldn't wouldn't make a grade because of his height these days. Um, But yeah, there's a few things to pick out there, I think. You know, just, and we we speak about this all the time, Tom, about how honest some of the interviews are in here, you know, really open. And he's he's talking about a drink driving charge. And you would, you know, the the players nowadays wouldn't necessarily offer that up in an interview, so I just found that really you know quite enlightening and you know a sign of the times that it's changed so much. I mean, with yourself, you know, Eric. I mean, you must interview quite a lot of footballers and managers and people in the game, and I'm guess in the main you just get the stock re- replies or, or a lot of the time, yeah, particularly well we're in. This year of Zoom, which makes it even harder, you know, and it's 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 not the easiest, but but yeah, I think, I mean, it's amazing that a that shoot would get something like that first. I'm presuming he's never, if say for example, this is the first time he's spoken about it, you know, it's for predominantly a kids magazine, you know, to suddenly come out and you know put your hands up to being a a club or major. I don't think that the three AM bit's a bit unnecessary. Because yeah, if you go to a nightclub, you're going to stay at the end. You're not going to be. You're not going to get any brownie points for leaving at one, are you? No. You know, <laughs> well, be hung for a sheep as a lamb. But no, I mean he's he's obviously decided whether. Listen, they probably they probably wouldn't even have had to go through the club in those days. Mm. You know, I mean there would have been a guy. I don't know if you'll know better than me. I think well the staff writers that shoot had they probably would have been yeah. the freelancers. Yeah, they would have just had. They would have just had somebody would have somebody would have given him Tony Parts' number. They'd have phoned him up at, the, at his house, and he'd have just spoken to them. It would have been as simple as that. It would have been. I mean, you know, we're talking nineteen eighty nine, so we're not talking millions of years ago. Yeah. But it has changed beyond description. And I bet you, oh, it's Brent. What would Brentford would have been in the what? Probably the, the old third division, were they, or the old second division? But either, either way, yeah. you know, you would just unless you had a manager that like to control things which would have been possible you're going to come on to, to Brian Clough later on but mm. most managers would have just said yeah on your go phone they would have probably given out the number themselves and mm. I bet you he wouldn't have thought I bet he wouldn't have thought to I think just footballers were just more honest then weren't they they, just, they, would, yeah. they wouldn't have thought that would have been an issue and I mean I bet you that wouldn't have even been picked up by nowadays if somebody said that in a magazine obviously it wouldn't be shoot but if they said it in you know, one of the one of the big sort of European magazines, or your, you know, whatever four four two or all that stuff, that would be ripped off, stuck in the stuck in the tabs, and away yeah. away away it went. Social media, all the rest of it. That one 
would folk have even talked about it in the playground or that? Probably wouldn't have done, would they? Mm. That's a good point. Uh, th- there was the the podcast with Joey Barton was on. Callum. Callum. Callum, yeah. And um, he, he interviewed um, Joey Barton and the papers are just... I think one of them may have contacted him, but other ones just ripped everything out of it and mm-hmm. ran with days worth of stories. And you, you, yeah, you're you know you think nowadays with that on on the page there, that would probably be treated to the same sort of thing. But I guess I guess players never didn't expect that they were going to get stitched up. No, back then as as much. I mean, I'm sure they no, did. because I mean, I'm trying to look at his his headline there, Brett Fakir, his bike and spoils turned him into a lunatic. I mean, well, you probably wouldn't say that nowadays, right enough, <laughs> yeah. you know. But it's <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's of of its time. But, you know, it wouldn't have shocked you if they kind of shied away from, from the sort of tabloidy stuff and buried it halfway down. You know, I bet you've seen that in a few in a few of the, the shoots. You know, the actual really good news line is like buried eight, nine pars down and they've gone with a real sort of football-y, football-y intro. But that one, they've, 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 gone with the, uh, they've gone with the good stuff. Yeah, yeah, fairly. Does anybody recall them much um, playing up at yeah, I mean, from, Spurs, football, yeah. from Spurs more than Falkirk, I must admit. Yeah. Just that year, wasn't it? Yeah, I would call that UEFA Cup final. Yeah. That setting, that setting leg, which is, you can find that whole game on YouTube. But that's what I remember them for uh, until I came up to Falkirk. So, so I mean, I've looked at his stats. 37 league games for Spurs, 71 for Brentford, and 112 for Falkirk, a few other teams. So Falkirk was the, the team that he was at. Yeah, I'm presuming he would have been the Simon Stainrod era, presumably. Yeah. yeah, I think he came up with Richard Cadet as well, was it? Uh, yeah. he, came up with... uh, he was at Brentford as well. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah there's a, a team photo later on of Brentford, and both of them are in there, so we can Aye. discuss that a little bit then. And uh, by the way, Andy, just to remind you, he has said he would do this podcast. Tony Parks. Aye, that's right. Yep, yep. Oh, well, you'll maybe get another exclusive, eh? <laughs> maybe back in the light clubs. We'll just use the same magazine. We've done the work. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's move on to pages six and seven. And we've got Greedy Clough. So this is previewing Man United versus Nottingham Forest. And Brian Clough talks about the Man United and Nottingham Forest Cup game, which, due to the Everton game being selected by BBC TV for the live game, means that he'll be able to enjoy his Sunday roast as usual. He looks back at the league game between the two in December, which United won 2-0. Clough was annoyed at the result, but didn't think they played badly. In fact, he says United were fired up with Brian Robson showing that he's still the best midfielder in the country. Forrest are already in the CMOD Cup and Littlewoods Cup finals, but Clough doesn't mind being greedy. Does anybody want to have a wee, a wee chat about Brian Clough? Well, I thought, I don't know, have we gone past... When I looked at the magazine, there was the wee editorial on the would it be on the front the front page, and I, I just loved yeah. how uh, it was like the editor was basically bragging the fact that uh, Clough was speaking to them but wasn't speaking to the press, and I thought <laughs> it was that was incredible. And he, he was uh, I can't remember how he phrased it, Andy, but it was basically yeah. along the lines of you know it's our duty to you know and we're we're doing our bit you know and if, if he wants to speak to us but. Forest fans, forest fans need to hear type thing. Basically, say putting two fingers up to the, the newspapers, and you know, here he is, Brian Clough speaking to to Shoot Magazine and not speaking to the papers. So I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure there was a, a good reason for a fallout, and it would have probably blown over. But there you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I missed that. So it says Shoot is proud of our association with Cloughy, and the facts we are one of the few publications he will talk to. 
I do not know those reasons for gagging the Forest players from giving TV interviews. But right? he does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do feel the viewers deserve to hear comments from players and managers providing the questions relate to the game. So do the TV companies and sponsors who pour millions into the football and help keep it solvent. So I suppose he's, he's, he's proud of that, but I, I think he's sort of giving him a wee bit of a, a ticking off as well for, for not allowing his players to do that. So, yeah, best of both worlds with that. Okay, let's... Uh, on the same page, we have Milne's Revenge Mission. Oh, yeah, we'll have to talk about Ralph. Yeah, so former Bristol City ace Ralph Milne plans a revenge mission on behalf of his former teammates on Saturday. Forrest knocked out City in the Littlewoods Cup semi-final last season, and Milne says, I hardly need an incentive. A place in the last four is ample enough, but I hope to gain revenge on Forrest for the City lads. So Milne praises City boss Joe Jordan for putting the spark back into his game, saying... Joe was great to work with and I'll never forget his help. Milne is having to deal with snipes from people, including ex-United manager Tommy Doherty, who declared that when you pay peanuts for a player, you end up with a monkey. Then, while commenting on radio, he said, It puzzles me why Alex Ferguson bought Milne. Seconds later, Milne beat two players and crossed a perfect ball for Brian McClare to score. A perfect response. Um, just as a spoiler, Forrest kept alive their hopes of a domestic treble of cups with a 1-0 win over United. So, let's talk about oh, Ralphie. So many things that this, I mean, Ralph Milne, from our part of the world, he's an absolute, he was an absolute god for Dundee United fans for, for that goal that won in the league at Dens and just general. I think, I mean, I think if you were, I can't, if, if you were to pick a top five United players of all time, I think United would have Ralph Milne, possibly even in the top three after, after possibly been third after after Sturrock and, and Neri. I mean, he was an absolute legend and what a player. And I think he should have had bucket loads of Scotland caps, but he was one of the ones that McLean couldn't quite tame. And uh, I think it's just the difference between, and he's, he's top poles, isn't he? Of being United's worst ever, Man United's worst ever signing and stuff like that. But I don't even think it's a shame. It doesn't give his, his age there. But folk think when he signed for Man United that he would have been like 36, 37. I, I think he might even have been, if it wasn't late 20s, it was early 30s. And, you know, it wasn't, he should, so he shouldn't have been, certainly shouldn't have been washed up. And it, it kind of speaks to, I think, I think it's fascinating how Fergie yet did not have the trust of, of, fans and journalists because you know fast forward a few years and you wouldn't what's the phrase you know that you wouldn't have journalists shuffling uncomfortably or whatever it was you know people would just say Fergie sign somebody that's you know he's for us and obviously fans were a bit skeptical as well you know so listen it, it didn't work out 150 grand wasn't the it's not that you know it wasn't the biggest gamble ever but you know Fergie remembered Ralph Milne, the player at Aberdeen, used to play against for United all the time, and which wasn't that long ago. And you know, I think like, come on, United have had far worse players than Ralph Milne, you know, that have been, <laughs> have been signed. But so I'd like to think if they were doing polls nowadays, he wouldn't be top of them. But it just kind of some and top, you know, Tommy Dog chipping in as well, criticising Fergie. It just kind of it speaks to a, a time where you know he still had to prove himself, obviously, you know. Yeah. Yeah, um, you're, you're right, Eric. He was 27 when he signed. Well, there you go. There you go. I mean, he should should have still should have still been short of his peak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
And another wee nugget we found out when uh, when Steve McLaren was being linked, well, it was he was more than linked when he was getting when he was in the running for the Dundee United job this time last year or whenever it was, and out popped his uh, the most unlikely friendship in football. Apparently, Steve McLaren and Ralph Milne were best mates when they were at Bristol. <laughs> and and unlike like I say, and unless uh, Steve McLaren was a was a was a wild child that he managed to keep ahead all those years. You you really wouldn't put him down as a drinking buddy of Ralph Milne, but there we go. Yes. It's it's a shame the great man isn't allowed to, to ask the questions, but it's aye. Ralph burned the candle at both ends and well maybe Steve did while he was at Bristol, you know? Yeah. I, I, I seem to okay, Man Man United, I mean he never played much for Charlton or Bristol, but he, he seems to be well thought of by those fans. Mm-hmm. From from my experience mm-hmm. anyway, I, I I don't really hear a bad word said about him from those teams, even though it was, a, it was a, quite a short spell. So it must have made a, a, a good impression there. Yeah, I mean, like I say, United fans just absolutely adored him. You know, he was... But he's... I mean, where did, where did he go after United? I can't remember. Uh, West Ham, United and Lone, I don't know who he played. And then he went to, I guess, uh, Japan or yeah, China. he was really on the drift by then, wasn't he? Yeah. Three Scotland under twenty one caps, but yeah, yeah, you know, as you say, he could quite easily have have got one or more um, national caps. Really, couldn't he have. Okay, let's move on to pages eight and nine. So we're on the shoot stats, results, goal scorers, lineups, and ratings. So this this is the 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 games that have been on the previous week or so. So the first one uh, b- before we look at the results, we're going to look at on your marks. And it's Shoot Adidas Golden Shoe Awards for 1988-89. And Frank McAvenny's relegation to Celtic's reserves allowed Parkhead pal Mark McGee to move ahead in Scotland's race to win the Golden Shoe. Oh, what was that for? What was he? What, what did the bad boy, what did Frank do to get himself into the reserves? He must, he must have been in the nightclubs with Tony Parks, was he? <laughs> <laughs> Any ideas, Tom? Uh, no, but a good guess, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> so, McGee is on 13, while McAvenny and Nicholas are both on 12. In England, Division 1 leader is Alan Smith on 19. Division 2 leader is Tommy Tynan of Plymouth on 21. Division 3 leader is Steve Bull of Wolves on 26. And Division 4 leader is Phil Stant of Hereford on 20. Look at the names in Division 2 there, eh? Mm. Some... Proper club legends there, Tommy Tynan, Mark Bright, Kerry Dixon, Ian Wright and Gorge. I mean, they're all stellar players at their clubs. Maybe less jury, I suppose. But no, he was well thought of jury, but you know, yeah. a few of those there. Internationalists as oh, well, all the names. Next, you've just, oh, Steve Bull in Division 3. Mm. And Brian Dean, club legend as well. Yeah, Bobby Wilson, Division 4 there with Rotherham as uh-huh. well. Yeah, so just as a wee spoiler, Alan Smith would top the first division with 23 goals. Keith Edwards of Hull finished top with 26. He was uh, a goal behind Tommy Tynan in the magazine at the time of this. Steve Bull finished top with 37 and 50 in total in all competitions that season. And Phil Stant uh, finished top on 28. Uh, this That means Steve Bull scored 11 goals in the last 15 games of this season. In Scotland, both McGee and Nicholas finished on 16 goals each. They're just about um, goal scorers. When I look back at the old magazines, um, the 60s, early 70s and stuff, it's like you've got loads and loads of players who are in their, f- score 40 goals and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I remember there was a period, I don't know if it was around about this sort of time, where 
you know, players were struggling to get out uh, 20 goals for a season. Um, and I don't know why that happened. Any thoughts? Why the the goals dried up? Football did get more, football did get more defensive for a while, didn't it? With mm. the, the, the Italian influence spread across. I, I just think it could well be that. Yeah. Could well be that. Yeah, I, I can't think of any rule changes that would have made no. things um, more difficult for that because mm. run about here would have been, I, I guess the pass back rule would have been run about this time as well. Yeah, Steve Bull must have been. That's getting close to his, Scot- his goal against Scotland, isn't it? Because that was in the that was before Italian ninety, wasn't it? When he yeah. scored at Hamden, so presumably, yeah, and he wasn't a Division Three player, so Wolves Wolves must have gone up, and then then he gets his call up. Mm. Okay, so let's look at some of the some of the games that are going on. So we've got European Under Twenty One Championship on Tuesday, the March the seventh, and Scotland two, France three. It's goals from Wright and Galloway for Scotland, and two from Diver, and one from Zitelli, David Zitelli, who would go on to play fifty league games for Hibs between two thousand and two thousand and two. I always like to see the, you know, when you've got youth team results or under twenty ones and that, and just see the names coming through that. You know, either didn't make it or you know yeah. went on to really. That'll be Stephen Wright, presumably, yeah. Yeah, yeah, from, uh, Aberdeen at the time. It would have yeah. been, yeah. Yeah, he's at Dundee now. He's at Dundee's academy. Right, good guy, Stephen Wright. Okay, next one going to look at is the World Cup qualifiers, and this is Wednesday. So this is the day after Wednesday, eighth of March. Albania nil, England two, and Barnes and Robson with a goal. Scotland two, France nil. I, I was I was just about to say there. Oh, for those sort of results, but every time we, we beat France all the time, don't we? So mm-hmm. that's 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 nothing unusual there. Two goals from Mo Johnson in front of sixty-five thousand. Steve Nichols, Scotland's top man, with a shoot rating of nine. That's pretty good going. Frank Sozzi in there. I think there's a photograph later on where Frank Sozzi um, is showing some pictures from this game, and Frank Sozzi's shown there as well. Try to figure out there, Andy, where uh, where Steve Nichols would have played that night because. You've got it must have been I was gonna say it must have been right back, but you've got you've got Goff, McLeish and Gillespie and he wouldn't have played three, would he? So could he have played Nickel in midfield? Yeah, I think so. Or maybe Aitken in midfield. Yeah, maybe Aitken. But To be honest, I I think, you know it was a time where, where you do see team photographs of Scotland and, and you look in seven out of eleven are what you would class as defenders. But, you know, yeah. like some McLeish, I guess, started as a midfielder as well. Aitken um, went into midfield or, you know, would play there fine. So, I, as you say, I, I don't think we played five along the back back then. Um, certainly not to beat France 2-0. Um, only a six for Paul McStay. Um, um, who else is in there? Uh, Strachan came on as a sub. Uh, Ferguson, which I assume Ian Ferguson that will be. Would it have been Ian Ferguson? Mo Johnson, Ali McCoy, Paul McStay, Gary Gillespie. Early for Ian Ferguson, isn't it? Unless it's a uh, the Dundee United's Ian Ferguson, maybe Dundee United. Wouldn't have been, nah, he wouldn't have been starting. He wouldn't have been starting. Trying to think, when, when was? It sorry. might have been actually because round about this is when St Mirren won the cup. The man, when was the St Mirren United Cup final? I should know that one off by heart. He's eighty-seven. Oh yeah, well beaten Ferguson. Mm, then. Yeah, yeah. again, that whole game's on YouTube. So let's look at some of the Scottish Premier results. Saturday the 11th of March, Aberdeen 2, Dundee 0. Dundee United 1, St Mirren 4. A Hegarty own goal in the first minute. The writing was on the wall that game, I think. Hearts 0, Celtic 1. Motherwell 0, Hibs 0. 
Rangers 3, Hamilton 0. Uh, a couple from the Scottish First Division. Meadowbank 1, Clydebank 1. And St Johnson 0, Morton 1. Um, Bankies and St Johnson were cl- uh, still close enough around the promotion spot at this stage. Although Saints would only pick up another 7 points in the remainder of the season. Well, the Bankies finished in third place, four points behind Falkirk. Any of the results are the players, the goal, the goal scorers, the anything we want to pick out from those? That Aberdeen team. I mean, that is fun because I, I was writing a lot about it in the week before uh, before the Scottish Cup final. Because of course that was about the time when the, the last eighty nine ninety was the last of the doubles for a, a non old firm team, and you can see it still. It's it's kind of Still big Berge influence in that team, isn't there? And it's and the ones that have been brought in, they're not exactly pay limitations, are they either? It's still a stellar, stellar lineup. Okay, let's have a wee look at the the leagues there. So as as I was just saying, you know, St Johnson Clyde Bank both up the top half of the table, but realistically at that point I mean Clyde Bank probably still harbouring hopes at that point, but um yeah, it wasn't to be. I think it was just one up, was it? Can't remember that for but I'm not quite sure. Actually, they wouldn't have had they wouldn't have had two dropping out of a was it a ten team league? Yeah. Aye. So Cowdenbeath two points deducted for a breach of rules. I wonder what that could be. Um, okay, so let's have a wee move on, and we're going to look at pages ten and eleven, and it's West Ham versus Norwich preview. It says, you can keep your medals. First division survival, more important than Wembley, says Alan Devonshire. Uh, Alan Devonshire realises this season's FA Cup final is probably his last chance of glory with West Ham, but he'd be willing to swap a cup winner's medal for a guaranteed 17th place in the first division, which would mean first division survival. Devonshire believes that West Ham have been able to progress in this season's cup competitions as there has been less pressure on them given their form this season with Norwich City who they meet in the fifth round being favourites to win the game. Devonshire picks out Brian Gunn from the City side saying, Brian is now more consistent than Jim Layton and deserves his chance in the Scotland team. His performance has certainly silenced the critics. There's another short story on goalkeeper Phil Parks, who's just been recalled for his only his second first team game in two years in the previous round tie against Charlton. He's already helped West Ham beat Norwich twice this season, but this was in the reserves. So I guess towards the end of Alan Devonshire's, you know, you probably think he's from an, an you know an era before this, so it must be right at the end of his his career. I liked him. I liked him as a player. I think. I, I mean, I I was brought up down south. In fact, I, I we would be back in Scotland by then. But the first, I think, the, the first FA Cup final I remember was the Man U Arsenal one, the the famous one that all the Sunderland, Alan Sunderland one. But I think the first one that I watched the whole way through would have been West Ham Arsenal. So I've 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 always got a wee a wee soft spot for that that West Ham team. And you're right, he was that was that was, that would have been his peak. That so what was that? That was about eighty one, wasn't it? Yeah, that was nineteen eighty. So and yeah, he was he was he was a very good. But I think he got capped in the Alan Devonshire. I'm sure he did. I can't remember, but I think did he not have quite a lot of really bad injuries? I think, if I remember right, there was a few really bad injuries. He yeah, eighty-four, eighty-five. He never played. Uh, never played in the league at all for West Ham, and eighty-seven, eighty-eight. He only played once. Mm. Yeah, I think. I think maybe he 
he was really badly injured, came back and then got injured again pretty quickly. Uh, so, because um, we've discussed him a few times in previous ones. Well, they were a team you think of like that whole decade. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was what three promotions and relegations because you, you the you know they had they had some real highs when you thought like the cup win obviously and then the mark of any season when the, the when there was a TV strike and they, they they ran Liverpool close but in between times you know they, they were yo-yo and there was no doubt about it but good good players there yeah absolutely so on on the same page uh, just a little bit about it says Canary bubble won't burst vows Malcolm Allen. Malcolm Allen, who's just turned 22 and has already scored five goals in the FA Cup this season for Norwich City, is confident of making a happy return to Villa Park, the ground where he launched his senior career while with Watford. Now, I never actually... Tom, do you any idea what the result of that was? Uh, it was a draw and then Norwich won 3-1 in the replay. Okay. Okay, so moving on to pages 12 and 13. So this is the Italia 90 qualifiers. So first off, we're going to look at Albania versus England. And this is a two-page spread with some photographs and a little article. And the heading is Robson the Lionheart. Brian and Barnes save England again. Now, you should look at England's recent World Cup qualifier against Albania that took them to the top of their group with a 2-0 win with goals by John Barnes and Brian Robson. They sit joint top with Sweden after only two games played. There are four very colourful action photos from the game, two of which show John Barnes firing in the opening goal and the other has skipper Brian Robson rising above the Albanian defence to bullet home with a header. David Rocastle is pictured chasing a ball with while Gary Lineker fires a shot off target. Something mentioned in the article that the England strikers haven't scored since last May. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, it seems to be, you know, it's only two games played and, and, and I guess it's just a feeling of negativity that maybe they the only scored two against Albania. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just something that I remember from the time that... No, you're definitely right. It definitely hung over them, didn't it? Until, I think, you know, until Italia 90, they weren't having Bobby Robson, were they, at mm. all? It's, I mean, they were terrible at... Uh, at the Euros, weren't they in '88? They lost every lost every game, didn't they? Ireland, the the Soviet Union, and and the Dutch. So I think most England fans wanted him out there and then, didn't they? And then so he's got this other campaign. What they are top of the group, but well, they've only played only played two games. Two games. Yeah, yeah. But I think even going in at Italian '90, weren't they? They were the there wasn't really a. There wasn't a wave of euphoria carrying England there, was there? No, no, I don't remember that. You know, it sort of. I think that the first game was against was that against the Republic. The first game, Italia ninety, and it was a 0 nil draw, and yeah, one, one each. Was it one each? Sorry, yeah. And, and the group stages were were pretty boring and yeah, lack of goals. Well, and they should have should have gone out to uh, Belgium. Should have beaten them, and then they got lucky with Cameroon, didn't they as well? But yeah. But I guess, I guess that that's all. It just needs that little bit of luck, that little, as, as Glenn Hoddle might say, a little bit of magic, you know. And and suddenly, England's whole, the whole psyche around the team just yeah. switched, didn't it? But I did. I did a piece with which one was it? a good few months ago now with, with Sergei Baltacha, and he he was he had he he had a, he gave some great and some great lines. But one of them was that Bobby Robson, because when Sergei obviously came to Ipswich before he came to St Johnston, and you know he was the first first guy for this, the Soviet Union to come and play at 
playing Britain. And uh, obviously Bobby Robson with his still lived in Ipswich. And he got in touch with Sergei Baltach and basically asked him, he was he wanted to go to the sweeper, which they event which they did in Italian 90, and he was he was looking for advice. And uh, Sergei mentioned a game that uh, Soviet Union had played against England in Wembley and how basically Soviet Union had played them off the park type thing. And it was just, I can't remember the day, but it was basically, they played them and then they went out to that famous game in Brazil where John Barnes scored the, the Maisie goal. And, and it was from that game, that left the impression basically on Robson that, so that Baltacho was the sort of main man and, you know, this, he was the man to ask type thing. And you want what the but the thing I went back to watch it and I included the link in my piece and I referenced that in the piece as well. The fact that the the full time booing for Robson was unbelievable, and it wasn't just booing; it was it was they were singing to get to get him rid, and it was you know in about three different types, three different chants. You know they were it was absolutely. I mean, you, you wouldn't hear it now. You know, you really wouldn't hear it now. Like if you know a fans turn against. You know, they, they boo or they leave early. But this was this was proper, proper get get rid of Bobby. And yeah, so I mean folk think, don't they? They think Bobby Robson, when he was a great manager, but they think, oh, England England fans loved him, but couldn't have been further from the truth. No, I, th- I think that happens a lot of time. I mean, just look at Fergie. I mean, it wasn't all plain sailing. And, you know, if, if some fans had their way, he would have been gone. And look what they would have missed. But I guess that's it's a fickle nature of fans, isn't it? It really is. Okay, so moving on from this, we're moving on to Irwin at large. So this is a number of little little stories across the page. There's, there's a few that I'm going to pick out here. And the first one is talent scouts flock to Aloha as they do. The talent scouts yeah. have been flocking north to Aloha to check on some of the young talent currently on show with the Scottish second division part-timers. Southampton, Nottingham Forest and Aberdeen have been visitors in recent weeks to check on Robert Lee, Ian Lee and Ian Gibson. Um, I don't know if that would have been the... That wouldn't have been the Ian Gibson that played for Hearts. Surely not. No, and St. John, Johnson manager, no, it wouldn't have been him. Yeah. No, he would, he'd, he'd have been long gone by then. I think Ian Lee might have ended up at McDermott. I could, I'd say I could be wrong, but uh, that rings a bell. Hmm. And it will certainly not be the Robert Lee. No. <laughs> No, that's the thing. I mean, I, I recognise two of the names, but not for probably for the players that, yeah. Yeah, that they're talking about here. So the next one is Irish Uproar. So the League of Ireland are taking action against a number of veteran Englishmen crossing the Irish Sea to prolong their careers. They believe players like Frank Worthington and John Hollands are damaging the image of the Irish game, saying they think the game here is easy and that there's soft money to pick up. When they find out that is not the case, they disappear, sometimes after just one match. Most of these veterans get around £300 per match plus expenses, which would meet the cost of six local players. And as if to just back up their concerns, and as a spoiler, Frank Worthington played two games for Galway United and John Hollands played just the one for Cove Ramblers. Now I'm not sure if this was written after those two played those games, or they really could see into the future, um, you know, because, as I say, John Holland's only played one. So I don't know if this is a reaction to those two players having come, played and gone, or if, you know, they, they just saw that coming. But again, I mean, it happened in Scotland. It happens in Scotland as well, isn't it? Where we just think, oh, there's, there's foreigners coming over and they're, they're less or the same standard of players were already got here, but just because they're foreign... 
Yeah. We, we, we pay a premium for them. From a journalist point of view, looking at that, though, you think, what a waste. I mean, that is a great story. Mm-hmm. You know, three three pars and their equivalent of the, the news and briefs. Now, you know, I think the editors missed a, missed a trick there. That, that, should have been a, that should have been a much bigger piece. Yeah. And who, who, is the, who, who is the spokesman apart from anything else? But, you know, I mean, you've got, well, two of those, Frank Worthington and John Hollands. You know, if you were to get, if you were to flesh out that piece, you know, they were two, two legends of English football. And I'm sure there was there'd be two or two or three others you could name check as well. So no, I think that's a missed opportunity for a right good story there. Yeah, and you just think Frank the Frank Worthington going over there, you could sort of liken that to George Best going to Hibs maybe in that yeah. same sort of you know it could have raised the profile of was it Galway Galway United. So I guess that's that was part of the the thought process of the. Well, the, the a few of the games right? bound to be. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Wasn't it anything to do with the licensing laws then? You could, you could drink longer. Tony Parts went out next week. <laughs> yeah. Probably wouldn't have harmed the situation, yeah. So the next one is Newcastle have rejected a bid of £750,000 from Leeds United for John Hendry, who had moved to Newcastle from Bradford for £500,000 just the year before. Boss Jim Smith is quoted as saying, while our financial position is not good, I want to hang on to my best players. Now, as a spoiler, John would move to Leeds. The fee was quoted in the region of around £600,000. Uh, he would only spend one season there, but he was still voted in the top 100 Leeds players in 2000. I think he was a guy who was well-liked everywhere he went. Yeah. John Andrew. Uh, can't picture him in a Leeds kit, I must admit. You know, mm. I can picture him in a few different kits down south, but... No, I can't. You know, the, the leads bit passed me by, but so so would the seven hundred fifty grand as well. Too, mm. he, he he didn't get he didn't get close to a to a cap, did he? No, no. I don't think he did. No. Coventry City started that. Bradford City, Newcastle United, to Leeds, and then Middlesbrough and Barnsley. Um, he managed at Barnsley for a yeah, season. Yeah, it's the last two I remember because he, he was he played in the top flight with Barnsley, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he managed. I don't know if he managed in the in the top division, but he managed at Barnsley, Barnsley there as well. Moving on to Siggy's staying for now. So this is Siggy Johnson. And the article has an accompanying photo of Icelandic international Siggy Johnson, who is currently playing for Sheffield Wednesday. He's being linked with a £400,000 move to Celtic, which the Ills have rejected. Arsenal boss George Graham is also interested. Johnson says, I don't want to leave Wednesday while they're in danger of relegation. This has been my best season in England and I want to repay the club who gave me my big chance by helping them to stay in the first division. He began at IA in Iceland before moving to Wednesday in 84. Arsenal would win the race for his signature in 89 for 475000 and he spent two seasons playing just eight league games due to injury. He returned to IA in 92 before moving to Sweden in 96 with Oribro SK. He would then moved to Dundee United in 97 and spent three years there. Injury again curtailed his playing and he eventually returned to Iceland to finish his career. He played for the national team 65 times, scoring three goals, and he moved into management after that. Siggy Johnson at Dundee United? I don't remember much about Siggy Johnson at Dundee United. I do remember him from, uh, yeah, if I was to pick a team, it would have been Sheffield Wednesday. But... Yeah, no, Dundee United. No, I don't think he's 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 not going to be running Ralph Mung close for uh, <laughs> for for Player of the Century awards. Mm. I think I think um, certainly when I've posted, how I many think, times did he play for United, Andy? Tom, can you have a quick look up on that? Uh-huh. 
But um, when I've posted it a few times, there's been, um, you, you know what responses are like sometimes from people. I think he was involved with a, he was injured pretty badly with Graham Soonis. Is that right, Tom? Yeah. I think, he, yeah, That's in right, one of the yeah. games. And a lot of people go on about how it basically ruined his career. But I actually came across an article where he says himself, a lot of people think that, but it wasn't really. Um, it was really? early in his career and he got over that injury. You know, I, I guess a lot of people just automatically gravitate towards the negative when when certain players or teams are involved. But um, yeah, it's it's came. But the, when I read that, I sort of think maybe that's that interview was done when he came to Scotland, and maybe just to make his life a bit easier and diffuse the situation. Maybe that's what he said. So I could you know take that with a, a little bit of a pinch of salt. But yeah, so Tom. He played uh, 48, 48 starts for Dundee United across three hard, seasons. That's more than I would have thought, to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good um, bit of a mullet going on there he's wearing yeah, as well. So. Yeah. yeah, blended in fine, isn't he, over here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, moving on, and we have Sir Stanley Matthews turns out. So Sir Stanley Matthews has agreed to turn out in a testimonial for stokekeeper Peter Fox at the end of the season. He's now 74 years old. <laughs> now, um, Peter did have a testimonial in September that year against Everton where they lost 4-2, but there's no mention of Stanley, Sir Stanley, having played or even been involved. Um, yeah, 70, 74 years old, you're thinking maybe he'll take the centre or something like that. So, Tom, you you came, you you came up with this? Yeah, so there was a, a seven-a-side game uh, during a long half time uh, between a sort of Everton's coaching staff, including Paul Power and uh, an old Stoke Old Boys team, and uh, Stanley Matthews doesn't appear to be part of it. Yeah, I've I've not found anything at all which which says that he was involved in the game. And you think if he was, then there'd be something there. There'd be something there. We'd like to think so. Yes, yeah. Alan Hudson there. I see. There's a few familiar names mm. there. I do remember, I used to get Peter Fox a lot in the uh, Panini sticker album, so I uh-huh. remember him. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to move on to Motherwell sell Paul Kinnaird. And Motherwell boss Tommy McLean has pulled off a sharp piece of business by selling striker Paul Kinnaird to rival St Mirren in a £90,000 deal. Tommy pay, paid his brother Jim just 20000 to sign him from Dundee United and in a year, year the player has failed to score a single goal at Motherwell. A man of many, 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 many teams, including three games at St. Johnson in 1993. I don't know if you remember that, Eric. I, I, I uh, remember him being there. I don't remember the games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's, he played four times for Clyde Bank in 2001. And he he played 57 league games for St. Mirren, scoring four goals. So I have a, I'm, I'm just going to quickly run through the teams he's played for, OK? So oh, Dundee United... So that's going to be a quiz, couldn't it? Yeah. Dundee United, mm-hmm. Motherwell, St Mirren, Partick Thistle, Shrewsbury Town, St John's, Partick Thistle, Derry City, Bohemians, Partick Thistle, Dunfermline, Scarborough, Air United, Stranraer, Ross County, Queen of the South, Brecon, Partick Thistle, Clydebank, Irvin Meadow and Muirkirk. And there was actually <laughs> there a couple are. I missed out there because they were... Yeah, they were the, one, the ones I mo- would say I most remember them for, I'd say Thistle, probably Motherwell and St Mirren. I mean, I've... I don't know if the numbers back it up for those were the ones where he played played most, but they're they're probably the three. Certainly not St Johnson. United, he was you know there were so many talented players at United when he would have been there. It's little wonder that he really didn't make his mark. But no, he was he was it wasn't the quickest, was he? But he had a good he had a trick on him. 
Yeah. I, I, to be honest, I don't really remember him playing much. Uh, do you remember him playing at Clydebank, Tom? Uh, no, no really, to be honest. No. No really. Yeah, I mean, he seems to be in and out. Um, Dundee United, 18 games. Motherwell, 34. St Mirren, 57. Thistle, 33. And then after that, it's Air United, 45. Way further down, Stranraer, 53. Ross County, 47. So, I mean, he is, he is um, getting appearances and, and playing, but it's just in and out, in and out, in and out. So, yeah. Tommy McLean certainly pulled off a nice bit of business there, a nice £70,000 um, profit on that. We're on the Brent, Brentford uh, team photo. So we're on page yeah, yeah. 17. And this kit is... Firstly, it's, it's a little bit um, busy on the eyes, this kit, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's made from the kit... I don't know if you've heard of this one called Hobbit. H-O-B-O-T. Oh, that's a new one to me. Yeah, so the, there was a few teams round about this time who had that. Teams in England. But Hobbit... Uh, the shirt is, is a red and white stripe kit, but the stripes are pretty narrow. And the shirt sponsor is KLM, which is in black, which really doesn't... It loses it with those stripes yeah. as well. Uh, it's, it's an absolute travesty of a, a kit, if I'm being perfectly honest. The keeper shirt is shiny, with a black... It's green, with a black collar. The Minerva Supreme Footballs are probably the, the highlight of the, the team group yeah. photo for me. As I say, we've got Tony Parks in there, and I did say he's five foot ten. Yeah, he's gonna say he looks wee there, doesn't he? He can small yeah, there, yeah. Certainly. I mean, the, the the lad in the middle, who's that beside him? Uh, Terry Evans. Terry Evans. I mean, he he looks yeah, a bit massive. of a unit, doesn't he? Yeah. He's uh, the weirdest guy in that back row, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's I don't know, but possible in the team, but yeah, definitely. Um, so we've got yeah, we've already spoke about Tony Parks. Marcus Gale's in there. Um, yeah. Brentford, eighty eight to ninety four, went to Wimbledon. Rangers, when he played, now I'd, I'd completely forgotten that he played for Rangers. And he was so uh, bought for a one million pound in two thousand and one. Would that have been yeah. Alex McLeish in two thousand, or was that Dick Advocate still? Would it have been? It wouldn't have been Dick Advocate. Would it have been Alex McLeish in two thousand and one? Um, four games he played for Rangers, um, so two hundred fifty thousand pound a game. That's that's some going that. Uh, manager Steve Perriman, who played a total of 854 games for Spurs, which is still a club record, and he has one international cap. Uh, Andy Sinton's in there. You're going to play yeah, for QPR. QPR, Sheffield Wednesday, Spurs and Wolves. Uh, he got 12 England caps, and he was the Brentford Supporters Player of the Year in 86, 87 and 87, 88. Uh, Richard Cadet is another Brentford player who moved to Falkirk. He was there between 92 and 94. And played seven games for the Bankies in 1997, scoring one goal. Now, just as a wee spoiler on the season, Brentford finished seventh in the third division. So they were in the third division at yeah, this point. Yeah. Just narrowly missing out on the playoffs. Do we want to have a talk about any of those? Is there anything we want to pick out about the, the team photo itself? Big letters there, eh? Dearie me, you're not going to miss them, are you? <laughs> the yep. ladies getting it easy. All oh, right, the the yeah the the <laughs> initials you're talking about here, yeah, <laughs> yeah. As I say, it's 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 a kit that I'm, sh- you know, finishing seventh in the league. Um, I don't I don't know if they won anything that season, but I'm sure it's a kit that's um, best forgot by Brentford um, supporters. You you don't want to win a cup that season, do you? You don't want to win the league that season when you've got a strip like that. I don't think the sponsors will be very happy either, will they? <laughs> Yeah, but can't, can't even read it. Yeah, I mean that—that's one of the ones where you think either a white background or 
and as much as I hate them, the bib strip would. Well, we'll get to that later, I think. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Oh, aye, the St. Johnson one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Match winner. Yeah, which was very, very popular in the Clyde Bank one match winner at the time as well. Okay, I've just so we're going to jump out the magazine, Eric, and we're going to focus on yourself and have a wee chat. So I'm going to fire some questions at you. On you go. Full name. Eric Alexander Nicholson. Birthplace. Glasgow. First car. First car, right. Is that the one I owned or the first car, mum and dad's first car I owned? The, for, your first car. My first car would have been a Fiesta. Do you remember the colour? Red. Red. Good man. Favourite player of all time? Kenny Ruglish. Favourite team? Liverpool. Most memorable match? Oh, listen, I have to say, actually getting to Anfield for the first time, we were lucky. I took my, I waited and waited because I took my boy to uh, Liverpool West Ham and it was just before lockdown. So we were so lucky. We were so lucky in regards that Liverpool won because it was the last game of their unbeaten run. I don't know if you remember, it was 3-2 three two, three against West Ham and they were down a couple of times. And it looked like we were going to be the jinx after waiting all this time that Liverpool's unbeaten run was going to end and it was going to be all our fault. But of course we saw it and then they only played two more games and then it was it was lockdown. So they, they lost to Watford the following weekend. But no, that was just being there with my, my boy for the first one at Anfield was superb. But if you're talking in terms of best game I've seen, you've only got to go a few weeks back. Uh, or most dramatic for me as a journalist, uh, Saints and Rangers. I mean, you'll never mm. see a finished a game like that. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Biggest thrill in your life? Football. Football or personal? Whatever you're willing to share. <laughs> well, I was going to say, what about that? That full leaf clovers against Pitt and Wayne penalty shootout. That's what I was thinking <laughs> of when, uh, when I was watching De Gea coming up, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You missed yours, didn't you? <laughs> Oh, that, my memory's really not what it used so to be. All, so did all in mind you. That was, <laughs> I was in the Four Leaf Clovers team. And this we're talking about for people who haven't got a clue what we're talking about. We're talking at St Andrews University with a penalty shootout by the two the two uh, big Sunday league teams of the time. And uh, it went all the way to the goalies, didn't it? And I, I was my best mate still from university, Owen Bell, who is... Uh, and I was willing him to miss it because I knew if he, if he scored the winning penalty in this, he would have been too unbearable even. But anyway. Do you know that that's something I've, I've genuinely probably not thought about since that day? That very day. I've, I've put it in my mind, so thank you for bringing that back up. Because it came out of my, it, it was the first thing I thought about the other night there with that, that Villarreal Man United one. And the penalty shootout that didn't want to end. <laughs> Well, you know, somebody's got to end it. Somebody's got to say, like, enough's enough. And if you've got to be the one who misses the penalty, then, you you, you know, you're, you're making a stand. That's the way I see it. My biggest thrill in my life, dear it, mate. Oh, God, you've got to say that your kid's been born, haven't you? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No problem. Um, what's been your biggest disappointment? I mean, games did, you did, football games did crush you when you, I mean, let's talk football. Football games did, did crush you when you were a kid and stuff. And, you know, Scotland... I think which World Cup one was the most disappointing one. Yeah. Oh, listen, I went, as a punter, actually, that's an easy one. As a punter at Euro 96 down at Wembley, that was horrendous. That was horrendous. I can remember. That's the near, probably the nearest. As a grown man, I've been at tears at a football game. That just, yeah. I mean, I remember I sat with my brother behind the goal at Wembley 
and I, I did see the ball move on the penalty spot hmm. before he kicked it and that whole second and feel I mean I you know the whole Gaza thing just you're oblivious to it being a good goal and you've just been absolutely sick. I mean it was a it was a, it was the best of days up until that up until that point because you felt like there was whatever ten thousand Scots there and you felt like there was a hundred thousand but see after that happened and the place just those England's and that's the first time that England were doing the footballs coming home and it, it's just getting your way out of Wembley after that. No, that was a that was a horror. That was a horror. Mm. Okay, what's the best country that you visited? That's a good one. Um, through work, I thought it's one of some of the ones that you don't expect. You know, you'll never go back to. I loved covering St Johnson out in Armenia. A place called in Yerevan. That was a really that was a fantastic place to go because you would never go to places like this again. I mean, Saints will probably get somebody else again in Europe, you know, in the middle of in the middle of nowhere. But it was a great trip, a really fascinating city. I loved where else did I? Where else did I? I loved that. I, I really. I hope Saints draw. I know they could get Rapid Vienna. I hope they get them and I get to go there because I had a. Did you go? Again, we're going all St Andrews Uni here. Did you go on the uh, the Bratislava stag? Do you did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And there was a few of us took a train journey to Vienna. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't we, do that. I, I can't. Me, Matt Dyer, and a couple others. Again, we're all getting sort of. It's a bit of an in story here, but fleeting trip. That's the only time I've been to Vienna. I'd love to go back there. Mm. I thought it looked like a beautiful city. Ma- uh, you mentioned Matt Dyer, who used to play for East Fife, was it? Fife, yes, yeah. indeed, yes. Yeah. So yeah, I'll go for. For football trips, Yerevan was a great trip. Okay, nice one. Uh, what's your favourite food? You know the stock answer for this from the, the shoot magazines. Oh, yeah, it's not steak and chips. <laughs> or lager and, and lager tops, is it? Yeah, uh, lager and lime. Probably say, if it's a... Shouldn't be this hard, this one, should it? But a good roast beef, probably, yeah. Good mm. roast beef. Okay. Miscellaneous likes. So give me two things that you like doing. Don't get to play much golf anymore, but... Uh, Coaching, helping coach my wee boys football team, Genefield Swifts. Yeah, I love that. And watching my wee girl at the dancing. There you go. Okay. Um, miscellaneous dislikes. So two things that drive you up the wall. Oh, I would never, ever, ever think about going fishing. <laughs> my father-in-law, he's, he's, that's all he speaks about. That's just one thing I could never, ever see. If Ross decided, he, my boy, if he decided he wanted to go fishing, oh, that would be the worst thing ever. Probably hill climbing as well. Actually, I, I, I can safely say I will never climb a Monroe. There we go. I've, I'm just back today from a wild camp up a mountain. So. Well, you into all that now, Andy? Aye, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm walking daft and running daft. Me, that's that's, that's about all I do. So yeah, I, don't, I you it. don't fish as well, do you? No, no, no. That's taking it too far. Fishing. I'm, I'm with you in fishing. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> what's your favourite TV show of all time? Oh, I used to love the rock, the Rocky movies, but TV show Cheers. Yeah, Cheers. Oh, somebody because this is the one I keep coming back to. Cheers is absolute genius, and you're the first person yet to say Cheers. So thank you very much. I'm absolutely um, delighted with that. The later, the later series rather than the, I preferred it when it was. It was. Oh no, you're losing me. You're, you're losing me. The, you had me wholeheartedly. I'm yeah, you you more the Kirsty Alley fan then. I mean, I, maybe think I think I'll... that's when I started. What I didn't watch it, and then I went back the way. So right. yeah, I think I started somewhere in the middle, then worked my way back. So okay. yeah, but they're all good. They're all brilliant. Right, okay, good save, good save. 
Um, Favourite <laughs> singers? So give us two two singers or bands or groups. Oh, I loved. I mean, I saw Oasis a few times. I was lucky to see them, but as I can remember, now it's not not very not very trendy. But I can also remember going to see. I used to love going with my brother to see. Do you remember Gun back in the day in Glasgow? Yeah, I remember Gun. Yeah, oh, used, to, used to love seeing that. They were a magnificent band live. Bit sort of. Uh, I know they're not. They're certainly not very trendy these days. But yeah, Oasis, Manics, love love saw the Manics live a good few times as well. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll get my sort of genre there. Okay. Uh, Favorite actors. So again, two. You can get two. Oh dear. Who do I? Russell Crowe. He's been a lot of day, like a lot of Russell Crowe films. And who are guys that you know, like? Who are in my head at the minute? See, I'm not a big film. I'm not a big film man, but I have to suppose Persia boy. Yeah, I have to say you McGregor, don't I really? And I, I bumped into him at local curry house when he was back. Uh, we lived near. Uh, we lived near Creef, so uh, he went to the same same curry place as me, and in a place called Methven. So now we'll go for we'll go for McGregor then. Yeah. Yeah, I'm reliably informed that he doesn't listen to this podcast, so you could have got away with that. So. Actually, it's not McGregor at all. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's your best? Who's your best friend? Oh, I met still, still be boys from uni. Actually, yeah. there you go two of them, uh, Owen and uh, Minky, as you know him. Mm. So I yeah. still, I don't see as much of them as I see plenty of Owen, but don't see much of, don't see much of Minky. But you know, I've got good pals in uh, up here as well. Um, but yeah, you kind of see, I see less of your mates, don't you, when you start to have kids? So, hmm. so yeah, the, the St Andrews boys are more even more than school pals. I'm not got any. There's none of none of my old school pals I'm still in touch with. So no, yeah. the uni boys must be time for a reunion again. Eh? Listen, I'm I'm up for that. I'm up for that. Okay, so who who's been the biggest influence on you? So let, let's go from a from a journalistic point of view. Who's influenced you the most? From a journalistic point of view. I mean, the guys you work with at the very start, you know, and Gordon Barnum was a sort is a sort of guy, and he's he was the other sister, not sister paper. He worked at the Persian Advertiser as a real sort of a real, you know, a real talented local journalist. I probably would have picked up loads of him. Yeah, it's just guys you work alongside in the office. I don't, I don't really have one as such, you mm. know. Just you pick up things off different. I mean, the guys I like to read, you know. Still, guys now who who are work, you know who work with peers that are as good as anything that I mean, the Marco Vanni, I, I loved his stuff. I loved all the you know guys that Spears and that that when when I was reading rather than writing. But yeah, just look look local guys that you worked close with. Places like when you know when you're covering news at Sheriff Courts and stuff like that. You know hands that would show you the ropes. Probably no guys you you would have heard of, but mm. yeah. I, would, I didn't have like a big sort of inspirational journalistic figure. I thought, oh, I want to, I want to be him type thing. Okay. Okay. Final question: Which person in the world would you most like to meet? Oh, it'd have to be it'd probably be Klopp just now. I would think. I mean, but but then I was, you know, I did one press conference with with Ken Kenny, and he when he was with Celtic, and I was covering a St Johnson Celtic game, and it wasn't a good time, as you as you both knew. Mm-hmm. I was obviously taken over after after Barnes had gone, and I didn't have the guts to ask a question because I'd I'd had too many people who, like I've got I've got pals who 
like had sort of Willie Miller on a pedestal or so, you know what I mean? These and once you ask a I mean, I knew if, if I'd ask any of those a question, I, I can't I couldn't tell you if, if Celtic had won that game or if St Johnson won it, what the score was, but you could be guaranteed he didn't like the press. And if, if I'd asked him a question, he would have he would have slapped me down, he would have given a sarky answer and that would have ruined everything. So yeah, so if you're in Klopp, maybe I'm best not asking him a question because he'd probably do the same. But mm. yeah, Klopp. If if I if I met him in a non journalistic capacity, I'm sure he'd be mm. nice to me. Yeah. Okay, brilliant, thank you. Tom, do you have any questions for Eric? I, I was gonna add on another couple, uh, Eric. Uh, in the course of your work, who's the most interesting person you've met? Right. It didn't have to be anybody probably, famous, but it would have probably been newswise rather than because I did a lot of news reporting before I was you know, I was kind of mixed the sport with the news, so I'm trying to think who Oh, the probably if you'd see if you'd give me these questions beforehand, I could have come up with interesting answers for you. But, um, and I did get, you know, I did get to meet your Ewan McGregor's and you know people, sort of actors and stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think of other sports. Denise Lewis, I remember. I liked, I liked speaking to Jonathan Edwards. I liked speaking to doing Commonwealth Games and speaking to sports people that aren't footballers. So I'm trying to think on who would have been one, who would have been one of them. Yeah, Denise Lewis, I liked, I enjoyed interviewing her. Jonathan Edwards was another one. Ah, you got me on that one. I won't become right. part of another news one comes into my into my mind. But you see, you would see when you're speaking to like the top lawyers and stuff. Donald Finlay, you know, right, a really interesting character. Not not in a football capacity, but speaking to these, you know, the, the guys that are top of their top yeah. of their profession. I mean, politicians, you know, Salmon. Really interesting. I, I remember going to going to uh, when I, he gave a, a lecture when we were at St Andrews, and I went to go and see him. And then I remember speaking to him, not in a politics one. He did a he did a guest column or a guest uh, tipsters column in the Courier, and you speaking to him in that capacity was 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 quite fascinating. You know, I'm not I'm not talking you know whether I like him or loathe him as a as a yeah. politician, but. Yeah, I, it's good to, when you speak to these people when the, the dictaphones are off, you know, and you do realise hey, they're just they're just normal folk. All right, so maybe a wee bit easier for you then, Eric. So had you been a professional football player, what would your ideal career have been? Oh, I would think it would have been. I would have liked to, I, I don't know if I, I wouldn't have wanted to be a one-club man. I would have loved to have played for Liverpool, obviously. But then you'd want to come... I'd want to go to. I think I'd be one of these. I'm trying to think who's who. I'd probably one of these that would be going around ticking the boxes of all that. I'd probably do a Beckham, you know, go to you know tick a couple of years at all the all the top Big names teams. and get them. I'd, I'd probably been a traitor like Michael Owen, eh? going away, <laughs> going away to Madrid or a Steve McMahon. No, <laughs> no, nah, nah, I'd like to think I would have stayed at Liverpool, and uh, you know, be be signed there and then just yeah become a legend down there. That would have done for me. Right. And obviously, obviously won a hundred caps for Scotland as well. But doing doing the whole, I mean, it was a huge. It felt like such a huge thing. Like, I I don't I I don't know how big a thing it will feel if Scotland get out of their group. But for me as a kid, it felt like the most enormous thing in the world. Scotland getting to the knockout stages of a of a tournament. So I'd love to think this summer it will be treated as an absolutely enormous thing if they do. But I've got a feeling it. It might not. I don't know. I just think the way that qualification, I mean, qualification out of group stages these days, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but, you know, it's a lot easier than it used to be. 
And yeah, I used to think that would have been like climbing Everest for Scotland, you know, just just get, yeah. getting out of the group. Maybe the, maybe the first one will feel that way, but maybe if we get to another tournament, then it'll be a case of, you know, it will start to feel a little bit well. We should have done that anyway. Mm-hmm. Maybe certainly for for people of our generation and above, it'll probably be, you know, appreciated more than others will. Yeah, well, this this uh, Euros, you've got. I think what is it? The best four best. Third place teams. Third places, I know. I know. So you, so you basically need to win a game, don't you? Yeah. Probably. Aye, it's a great to just win a game and don't get tanked and. Yeah. And I think to be, I think we've got we want the manager that will go in with that mindset. You know, he'll 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 certainly not open up at, at Wembley to think, oh yeah, you know, he'll he'll probably settle for a two 0 defeat, you know, in, yeah. in that game, and hope he gets a win and a draw in the other two, you know. Well, which is what a, t- a typical performance in the, in the finals kind of thing. I win, I draw, a defeat, and that would that would that would probably see us through to the the knockout. We we'll find a way, not to, <laughs> we'll find a way to to get that minimum and still not make it. But yeah, here we go, here we go. Any other questions, Tom? Not over to you. Okay, so I'd I'd quite like to know what got you into journalism, and you know how. You know how you got to where you are now, being the sports writer at the Courier. You know, talk to us about that. Ah, uh, well, I did. I get I was I had a. I get you're getting to about I think it was about fourth or fifth year, and you know your teacher starts speaking to you about what you want to do type thing. And I did think at that stage I thought, oh, I quite fancy journalism. And my English teacher at the time, a guy Mr. McLaren, he was this is at Perth Academy. He he suggested I do the sports editor, but sports editor. But you were the only one that did it in the school paper. So so I did that and liked it, but then went to uni at St Andrews, not then at that point thinking I wasn't going there thinking I'm going to be a journalist because you wouldn't you'd you'd go to you'd try to get into Napier or Robert Gordon because they had journalism courses at the time. So I went to uni probably like many other people, just wanting to keep mobs and open, enjoy it, you know did English and modern history and you know it wasn't so there wasn't a master plan and it was only it was only at the end I did uh, it was at the time when you know, you go to the careers folk and you start to go and interviews and, and, I, and I had I was on this had Tesco management I was in a, a Tesco management program so I had an interview for this sort of uh, fast track Tesco management scheme that I, I mean it was unbelievable I had an interview at Dundee, then I had an interview at Irvine, and then down at a selection centre in Hertfordshire to be this rapid progress management in Tesco. And I was down there, it was a two-day thing, and they were like, they're watching, you know, how you, when you're eating, one of these things, and you're doing ridiculous, ridiculous uh, role-play things, you know, it's like some sort of apprentice thing, and I'm coming back in the train, I'm thinking, this, what am I doing? Can't be doing this at all, it's not for me. And then put in a letter to all the major publishers at the time. And as it, it was a pure fluke that DC Thompson were the last of the, they did an in-house training course, which was like a sort of, so you didn't need, your degree didn't matter. They took graduates, they took people straight from school and they basically trained you. You did three, three four months in as a sort of, you know, just being schooled. And then you, you, you did sort of, you went out into the district offices and, learned it that way so it was a really really good way of doing it and we were the last of it because as it 
it progressed, they would basically hire people for specific posts and you'd kind of get a week or two max where you did your shorthand and all the rest of it was just kind of blended in. But this was like a, they took you in and then found your places for you rather than getting hiring people for jobs. So I was, I was lucky in that regard. And that was it. Basically, I just kind of thought, what do you want to do, basically? And it wasn't to necessarily be a sports journalist. It was just to be a journalist. And then it all, it all kind of fell into place after that. I was in a district office where you did pretty much a bit of everything. So sheriff courts, councils, fatal accidents, you know, flower shows, Highland Games. And for me, it was... I'd got to do St. Johnston as well as the dedicated sports guys. So I would be phoning up Paul Sturrock. He was my first St. Johnston manager. I'd be phoning, phoning up McDermott Park, you know, badgering him to get him. And then you'd have to phone him again. We were talking earlier about how things had changed. If you didn't get him at the park, you'd phone him at home. You know, you got to know, you know, his wife would know my name straight away, would know my voice straight away and we'd go and fetch him out of the bath or whatnot, you know, and that's, that was me, you know, so it was, it wasn't, a, I wasn't straight into sport, you know, it was, I found my way through, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it, you know, I think, I know there are journalists that would be, well, I've done football and nothing but football or sport and nothing but sport, but I always think it's always been, it stood me in good stead to do, have a general background and then specialise, you know, so... No, it was that was my route into it. No, I, f- I find it interesting that you say that when you were in it, you weren't necessarily, you know, looking for a goal of being a, a sports writer or a football. No, writer, I think so. most would do now. They would, they would think, mm. yeah, that's what I want to do. You know. Yeah. Okay, so talk to us, double double cup winning champion St Johnston. Talk to us about what oh, this what this means to you, what it means to the club, what sort of achievement it is. Is it the greatest achievement? The greatest manager. St Johnson have had I know I mean I do feel I would feel a bit guilty about I mean to me it's the greatest season I mean that's beyond argument you, you just can't and it's the greatest managerial achievement you know but when you stack it you know you've still got to give Tommy Wright his place and say he's, he did he kept St Johnson at an incredibly high level for years and years and years and so you know you can you can you can state a case for both if you're going to say who's the greatest manager, but as a great, I mean, as a greatest achievement and a great season, it's it's beyond parallel. It, it is, and it was an absolute. You asked about for me personally. It was, a, you know, I always feel a wee bit. You know, it is a bit awkward. You have you, you do try to fight line because you know of fans that you know proper St Johnston fans that haven't seen any of it in the flesh, and the, but I've been in the privileged position to to this season to to seen pretty much most pretty much all the games. And and cover it, you know. And I, mean, I don't think there'll be. I mean, I've you know I've done you know Olympics, Commonwealth Games, blah blah blah, all that. You know, we'll be doing the Euros this summer, and all that sort of stuff. But for a, a for a one-off season of domestic football, I'll never get to cover a season like it again. You know, my car knew its own way to Hamden by the end. You know, it was just unbelievable. And every time you thought it wasn't gonna. I mean, I when I went to Ibrox, that was. The point I was thinking my year but that was me sort of on the wind down you know <laughs> it was going to get a bit easier and you know Saints would lose at Ibrox they probably get you know they might get European football I, th- I thought they would they would they would get above Livingston but you think they've won their cup you know that's it and then everything happens at Ibrox and you just all again you, know, you think you're going to another level and then yeah they, they win the double and it is I mean that 
you know, I wasn't thinking about it in the build up to it, but certainly when I was writing my piece after it, you, you, you go and you try to compare other achievements in Scottish football in terms of domestic. Now, I know that everybody's going to, the Lisbon Lions will rightly always be at the top because of what everything meant, but for a domestic season, I, I certainly can't come up with anything comparable to a club of St Johnson's size, budget. You talk about the peers, you know, all right, Celtic are weaker, but they're not weak, you know, in terms of the might of them just now. You know, it's a, it's a, and it's, we all know what Rangers have done. So for St Johnson to win two cups with the squad they had, with the rookie manager, with everything, to win both domestic cups in one season, I don't think there is a domestic single season story that compares with it. I don't, you know, none of, none of the, none of the, the league champions, you know, Dundee United, you know, yes, it's, it's a magnificent achievement, but was it such a huge shock that Dundee United won the league, that Aberdeen won the league under Fergie? It certainly wasn't the 10,000 to one shot that they're now saying St. Johnston were, you know, Leicester were 5,000 to one mm. to win the, the league, you know, the, the, the Premier League. So, I think it's I think it's unprecedented. Hmm. I, I agree with what you say about it's a great greatest season maybe and a great managerial achievement, but it's, it's difficult to look at in the moment. I think to to look at what this actually mm-hmm. means. You know, maybe ten years time you can look back and with a bit of hinds. You know, people are wanting to get people's opinions on it, but I don't think. You know, I think you need a bit of history around it. You know, what what happens is it's Johnson now. Did it build on from here and become? you know, the third force or the fourth force in Scottish football for the next 10, 15 years? Or did they get relegated next season? In which case that sort of puts everything into, into context. So I mean, they played, I mean, when they won the bet, Fred, that, that put them above the rest as the most successful one next to Celtic for a decade. You know, so that is, you know, we're not talking a one season here. We're hmm. talking, we are talking a decade, you know, since McInnes brought them up. You know, so because you're throwing in, you know, this is, you know, umpteen European qualifications as well. And, you know, they're very rarely out of the top six. So they've already got a cannon of work behind them. You know, so it's it's going to be looked on as an era, you know, three three trophies in seven years. It's, yeah, it's, it's remarkable makes, that there's a couple of guys with two Scottish Cup winners medals, Baith, with St. Johnson. <laughs> I mean, it, it makes managers like, it made it from Derek McInnes, you know, for example, all of a sudden it makes what he's done at Aberdeen like, you know, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's a coincidence, but I'm, I'm sure it was a bit of a tipping point as well when Aberdeen fans were suddenly saying St. Johnston have won two trophies. Now, that when they won the bet for it, you know, they've won more than us in this era compared to Derek McInnes. And, you know, obviously Aberdeen were the second force while Rangers were away and then they were the third force. But fans want silverware, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I heard an interesting, very interesting fact, which I like with Stuart Cosgrove, that he's, I don't know if he was at the last final, I'm assuming he was, and he's he been was. at every single cup final that St. Johnson have won. Yeah, he's game. I'd try to think if Stuart will know better than me, but there, there may well have been somebody else, but it sounds plausible because there was very certain, it felt like there was more people at the Scottish Cup final than the Betfred. Hmm. I don't know if that was... Yeah, he, 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 men, he mentioned about looking up, he mentioned about looking up at the board and things like that and there was nobody there who would have been at the I know he would have been he probably would have been right I mean so, that, that that's a right um, pub, pub quiz question that, and isn't adjust it? yeah and adjust uh, so at least we know us three here there's nobody else will listen <laughs> to this so it's just us three I've 
just the because we're going to be telling plenty of folk, don't worry about that. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else before we move move on, Tom? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, so I'm just going to have a wee about a charity partner. So this is the Western Bartonshire Community Food Share, and it's this season that's your uh, charity partner and this charitable organisation provides various services and support to the local community including the following a school uniform bank school holiday brunch bags food provisions Christmas toy bank cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank they provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them any way we can through the podcast this will include drives for donations of food money and support in the form of volunteers We'll also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do, but also to ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of these vital services. You can follow them on Western Bartonshire Community Food Share Group on Facebook or Western Bartonshire Community Food Share for the website. You can also donate through their through our Just Giving page for the charity at justgiving.com slash fundraising slash shoot the breeze all one word also keep an eye on our twitter accounts at shoot tb underscore podcast and at scotch footy cards for updates and news on our charity partner so let's have a wee look back into the magazine here we go so we're on pages 19 to 22 so this is um sort of there's a kid's feel to these pages you know shoot i always think shoot you know, people say it was a comic, it was for young kids, but I don't necessarily agree with that. But I think at this period, there was sections of it that certainly look as though they're focused more on the younger the younger reader. So they say, shoot puts the fun back into soccer with Hoot. And the first one, you'll be surprised, Tom, I'm going to look at Ray of the Rangers. So yeah. the, the storyline behind this is centred around goalkeeper Tubby Tompkins, who as you can imagine from his name, is a big fat goalie. During training he won't dive to save shots, so Ray has an idea and sends someone to the tuck shop to get some items. Next we see a number of cakes being fired into Tubby Tompkins, rather than footballs, and of course he saves them all. Yeah, I I, I stay clear as a rule from the the comics strips or the, the cartoons in this um, just because you know, I'm, I'm. Tom's beginning to educate me, and it, you know, it's 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 more about the art than the stories, really. And I had to pick this one because look, look who the artist is and the script. So we've got Steve McGarry, who's a, a previous guest on here, who's an absolute um, god as far as I'm concerned in terms of art, artistic work, and script by Tony Husband as well, who did a lot of stuff as well. So that's that's a great double hitter there. So the next one is You Are The Ref. So we'll have a look at this. It says, A defender standing inside his own penalty area handles the ball outside the area. You award a free kick outside the area. From the free kick, the ball was passed to another attacker who is tripped outside the penalty area but falls into the penalty area. You award a penalty. When the penalty is taken, the ball rebounds from the goalkeeper to the kicker who scores. You allow the goal. Where is the problem? Anybody? I should have been listening more. <laughs> he, he gave a penalty when he should have gave a free kick. Yeah, the the the, the player's been um, tripped outside the box and is is taking a tumble inside the box and he's he's given a. But don't worry, VAR would sort all this out now. Good good old VAR. I kind of believe we've gone to VAR. Should we just forget about VAR and move on? Yeah. That Martin, Martin Boyle there was it. <laughs> yeah. 
it'd be interesting to see this updated now for you are working in the, the VAR truck <laughs> yeah you are the ref but your decision may be overturned uh, that's a, how many not... how many replays do you watch before you decide <laughs> yeah. Yeah. so moving on um, the Coca-Cola Football Association star soccer star scheme is the next thing we're going to look at and here we go and this again talking about Steve McGarry he's done the, the artistic work on this and it is described as a soccer education programme for boys and girls aged 6 to 16 years there's also a telephone number that teachers, coaches and youth leaders can call to find more about the scheme the strip shows John Barnes and describes running with the ball saying that the key factors are number one first touch into space number two play the ball well in front of you and number three keep your head up I'm not so sure about number two, if I'm being honest. Play play the ball well in front of you. Mm. Um, I wouldn't be coaching that these days. Yeah, play play it, you know, relatively close to you, you know, so that they can't just pick it away from you. But I'm I'm sure. Um, I mean, I'll have a wee chat with Steve McGarry. I'm sure that he all he's done is just draw the pictures, and he hasn't come up with these these things. So, okay, the next thing we're going to look at is. We're on the Greaves' letter page, so this is always good for a for a wee bit of either fun or to get me wound up. So let's see which one this one's going to do. So Ward is Innocent, okay, is this letter, and it's a star letter, and it comes from Ollie Horstrup of Saltwood and Kent, who gets £10. £10 for that letter, that's a lot of money. £45 for the magazine. There we go, that's, that's good money. Now, um, Ollie says, if the FA can ban Paul Davis... On the strength of TV evidence, why can't they use the same means to clear West Ham's Mark Ward in his sending off against Charlton? And Greavesy replies, because they don't want to use TV to question referees' decisions. Now Greavesy agrees that Ward was hard done by and suggests that the FA just want to protect the refs. He then compares it to the police using CCTV footage to arrest troublemakers in the crowd, but then saying that they don't have enough evidence to convict Brian Clough for punching Forest fans. That's a bit. Basically, he's saying Brian Clough should be locked up. Yeah, he's gone into coffee there, isn't he? I mean, it's like that. That that's that's something should be on the front page. Cloughy locked up says Brian. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. Um, next one, going to have a look at hit the kickers. So Richard Erbit of Bishop Auckland writes. What do you think of the idea of deducting league points from clubs with bad disciplinary records? Greavesy replies that it's not something he goes along with as it depends on the whims and inconsistencies of the referees. So he's giving the referees a bit of a hard time with this. Uh, next one, you English are never satisfied. Uh, Eric Degonville from Paris in France uh, is next up and he says, Why are you English so critical of your football? I saw Arsenal beat the French national team and couldn't believe how good they were. You should be grateful to have such fine sides. So Gravesy is actually surprised that Eric thinks it's better and he thinks the French are better at international level, but he does think the English are better at league level. And the there is a, a photo there from the game. Just go back there. So you can see down the bottom right a photo from that France-Arsenal uh, game. 2-0 was it? Tom, that Arsenal won that game. I think so. By the way, we're not we're not genuinely believing that these are these are real folk writing in these letters. Uh, we're yeah. not having that. 
Yeah, to be honest, the the Eric Degenville is a sort of a low, a low beginning. Why are yes. you English so critical of your football? <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe the man that's got the tenor, or maybe that's just a pal of the book. The editor of the suit as well. <laughs> that 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 pays for a lunch, doesn't it? For the for exactly. Them. Yeah, you know how it works, Eric. You know how it works. Uh, we've got a double page spread here for the for the army. Um, loads of pictures, colourful pictures of trying to get people to join the army. There's a Mars bar in there. There we go. That that will get me to join the army, no doubt. Uh, moving on, here we more. So pages 28 and 29. So we looked earlier on at Albania, England. And we're going to look at Scotland versus France here. So these two pages show three colour photos from Scotland versus France at Hamden with both goals coming from Mo Johnson. The first shows Mo firing home in the 29th, 29th minute. And Paul McStay and Ali McCoy look on in the background while a couple of French players have their arms raised in a desperate play for offside. The second photo shows Paul McStay with the ball, having left a French midfielder lying on the turf in his wake. And I'm thinking possibly a blurry Roy Aitken in the background. Yeah, it's Aitken, isn't it? I think, yeah. yeah. Um, the next one is the last photo shows Mo Johnson scoring his second as he bullets a header at the French keeper, who, if you remember, he fumbled it over the line. Mm-hmm. Um, also shown marking him tightly, not that tightly, though, as Frank Sauzet, the French defender. Um, the Group 5 table is showing... Let's just go back. So Scotland at uh, the top of the group on seven points after four games. Yugoslavia are in second on five points from three games, followed by France, Norway, and then Cyprus. I mean, it's not... Possibly then it was a little bit easier, but it's not the the, the most easy of groups. Um, and then accompanying article that goes with it, Johnson says, Now I can go back to France with a smile on my face. We have taken seven points out of eight and we are on our way to Italy. I like that confidence. Uh, Yugoslavia and Scotland both qualified from the group. Scotland in second place, so Yugoslavia topped it. Anybody want to... See anything about these photographs of the game? Oh, it was an iconic game, wasn't it? That one. Mm. I think that and the that and the Kenny Dalglish one against the Kenny Dalglish goal against Spain are the ones that stick in my mind from that sort of era. I can mm. remember watching that one on the telly. It must. It must. That one was live on the telly, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 I remember that the so the first goal. As you can see that they've got their hands up, and I think that I don't know who it was it was playing them offside, um, onside, but there was certainly a French player to the right hand side yeah. that was playing them onside. They were both quite scrappy goals, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, it was absolutely chucking it, wasn't it? Absolutely chucking it. That second goal was an absolute nightmare for the keeper. Yeah, probably killed the game for the French as well. So moving on, Irish misfire. So this is on this the second page as well, but it's half a page and. It's a, it's a black and white photograph, so they, they don't even get the, the glory of colour in this one. Hungary versus the Republic of Ireland, and it was a nil-nil draw. And it shows Paul McGrath and Mick McCarthy trying to keep out the Hungarian attack. Now, in the, the Group 6, Spain head it with full points after four games. Hungary are on second, after, or second and four points after three games. Northern Ireland are on three points after five games. The Republic are on two points after three games. And bottom are Malta. Now, Spain and the Republic would go on to qualify. I think that this was the one that we spoke about recently, wasn't it, Tom? I think yeah. um, the Republic won the last what, four games or something like that. Um, they, they drew two and lost one, I think, the, the first three. 
Is it? Yeah, that's what it's got there. So, for for them to be in that position after three games and still qualify was was a, a great achievement. Okay, and moving on, we've got pages thirty and thirty one, and it should mark which is a bunch of adverts. So the first one, there's, there's loads of little adverts and stuff here, and if there's any you want to pick out, then by all means. But I'm going to pick out Football Nuts. And it says, three-inch hand-painted in club colours of your choice, mounted on a felt base. Then he's any idea what the Football Nuts were? If not, no. I'll show Do you want me to show you? Go on, you're dying to. Those are the Football Nuts. Oh, well. So it's like painted nuts with a football Obviously. kit on. Mm-hmm. Why it's, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's obvious what a football nut is when you think about it, isn't it? So the two that we've got here is one for Manchester United and one for Chelsea. They're on like a, a plinth. That um, Nobby Styles on the left, is it? <laughs> it could well be. I don't know who that's going to be <laughs> on the right. But yeah, it's basically like a peanut. It's not a real peanut, I'm guessing, but it's shaped like a peanut and maybe fashioned the... the it might be a real peanut, I don't know. But um, we've got a football with his feet. It's... It's pretty rubbish, really, if we're being honest, isn't yeah, it? Of a flat football, isn't it, to be fair? Yeah. And how much was it, did they say? Um, we see on there how much it was. Only £1.99. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a bargain. Boy that won that. Boy that won the tenner. Could have had five of them, <laughs> So, next one. Harvey Lawler's Argyle Classics. And this is a unique collection of over 300 reports chronicling the most memorable moments in Plymouth Argyle's League and Cup history. Superbly illustrated hardback, 350 pages, £15, including postage and packing. I mean, I'm sure that is an absolute treasure trove for Plymouth or Gale fans. It's a, it's a niche market, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, th- 350 pages is quite quite significant as well. I think, I, I did look, you can get them on eBay, so there's a, you know, if any of are quite taken by that. So it's Harley Law, is that a name you've come up with? Harley, Harley Law. Yeah, it doesn't. Um, it's it's a difficult name to say, isn't it? Harley Law. It is indeed. Sound, you sound as if you're a wee bit drunk when you're saying it, Harley Law. You'd have thought there would have been better place putting an advert in the the Plymouth paper, wouldn't you, rather than a, a national magazine? Eh? Yeah, I, I don't know if there was any. Don't know if the says how much the adverts are. Please ring or oh, Bruce Sandel or Sandel to advertise. Please ring Bruce Sandel. Is there anything else you want to pick out from that? Um, the, the ones I was looking at was the computer games. And yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Right, so this is great strategy games from E and J Software, including Treble Champions, European Champions, World Champions, Cricket Master and Test Master. Available for Spectrum 48 and 128, Commodore 64 and 128, and the Amstrad CPC. Prices vary from £7.95 to £13.95 depending on the computer and whether it's a tape or a mm. disc. Another reason to curse my parents getting me a Dragon 32. Never had anything for a Dragon 32. Did people really have those other than people who wanted to actually be an IT person? Well, no, it was because I can't, my, uh, my aunt was... Uh, one of the first, she was a maths teacher that became, the maths teachers were converted to computer teachers back in there, as you remember. And she, she recommended to my mum that we get a Dragon 32, and then, but yeah, you couldn't get any games for the thing. You so, they didn't was, even go for a BBC Micro, like any other teacher? Oh, no, that would have been, that would have been half, so you could, you could have seen the logic in that, couldn't mm-hmm. you? Well, anything about the, the games, Tom? Well, I was looking at the other, I'd for computer games. All right. 
But it says uh, Liverpool 48k, World Cup 1986 48k, and England's Glory 48k. Uh, so Liverpool was featuring a full 42 game league season, FA League and European Cups, team and tactics, selection, spying missions, etc. Both C64 versions and Atari disc of four divisions, transfer market income, expenditure, UEFA and Cup winners, Cups, if you qualify. Cassette 845, this 1095. I like the use of etc. in adverts. You know, it's like they just, you know, just tell us, tell us, don't etc. me. Uh, it's interesting. England's glory. Play up to three friendly fixtures to refine your squad before the big test. Uses the same gameplay system as World Cup 1986. Uh, it's interesting. So you basically be sort of play what, sort of seven games or something like that. So the other thing I wanted to point out was on the other page is this shoot news call. So basically club call, which you club know, call in is yeah. a a forerunner for club call. Yeah. Well, actually, the the call. So the, you've got the 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 news call, which is the the main thing they're advertising, which is an overall. This is a, this football news, and then you've got the club call. So underneath it, you've got all the individual teams, and so you've got the main number. Then you've got dial oh eight nine eight one two one, and then the last three digits relating to your team now looking at it it includes Celtic Dundee Hearts Hibs and Rangers there's no Aberdeen or Dundee United in there which was really um, a bit surprising um, calls charged at 38 pence a minute peak times between 8 and 6pm and 25 pence off peak and again let's compare this to 45 pence for the magazine so you can either get the magazine and sit there reading it for hours on the end or you can go on the, the phone for a minute it's up to you. That, that's if if I was the parent in the house at that point, that would be how, what I would say to my child. It's up to you. A minute on the phone, or you can get the I, magazine. I do, I do remember thinking that well, club calls were like felt really expensive at the time, mm. you know. And it, it was one of those that you didn't hold on for too long, you know. Otherwise, you would get in trouble for it. But yeah, and a, a team had arrived when I had its own club call there. Yeah, that was like that was big time. Yeah, you, you would you quite often get them on the the team photo as well. After a certain a certain um, year, they started appearing in the team photo as well. There was absolutely nothing when you phoned them up either. I mean, there was there was there was a total rip off. You know, there was nothing worth listening to. <laughs> Did we ever have a, a club call, Tom and Clyde? Bye bye. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I tell you what, we're. we're yeah, definitely, we'd have more of that. But then again, most clubs do uh, all sorts of levels. But yeah, we'd have more of that sort of thing going on nowadays. Just things like taking, you know, videos of the. I mean, that's the thing. It's like so many games of football that are just lost to to memory in terms of you know having a video recording of it. You know, it's, nowadays everything's recorded, everything's mm-hmm. kept, you've got photographs, everything. You've got match reports, everything, and you know. It, it, just feels a wee bit of, well, a big bit of a shame for me anyway. Okay, so let's move on to page 32, and it's Fan of the Week, and this is Miss Mansfield. And in the spotlight is 21-year-old Melanie Brown, who's a Mansfield Town fan. Her mum says the club is her life. She's been supporting them since her dad took her along to, the game, to a game at the age of five. Melanie has only missed one game since and even travels to most away games. She is a secretary at the supporters club and also sponsors a players kit. An accompanying photo shows Melanie in what looks like the club shop with player manager George Foster. 
It's a nice wee. So that's uh, fan of the week in association with Tree Bar Extra Strong Mints. The next one we have is um yeah there we go. So this is a competition. Ten great Hummel tracksuits to be won. Get smart and shoot for this superb Hummel Yellowstone tracksuit as worn by Ali McCoyst. Now Ali's pictured sat down in a Hummel tracksuit. It's dark blue bottoms with a dark blue, white and yellow top. I quite like that. Ali was very much a darling of the media even back then. Now in order to win one of the ten tracksuits, you have to answer three questions about Ali. And one of them I'm going to give to you, Eric, and see if you know the answer to this one. But I'll, I'll let you know. It'll be the first one. With which Scottish club did Ali start his league career? Who could it be? You're giving me, you're giving me the easy one, then. <laughs> <laughs> St. Johnson, he was a midfielder as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't know that, actually. So. Mm. Yeah, started midfield. The reason I, I remember Ali McCoy's was we used, to, we used to travel up for Easter holidays because my dad had family and, and that lived near Muirn Park, actually, and we were thinking we'd, we would see Ali, Ali McCoy's that Easter, but he, he, he moved to Sunderland before we got up. So yes, we never saw Ali McCoyst play at Muirton Park. Yeah. Okay, so the next question. Uh, in 1981, he signed for which well-known English club? Sunderland. Sunderland, yeah. And question three, is a prolific marksman for Rangers and scored either 21, 31 or 41 Premier League goals last season. And this is league goals. Sorry, I'd, I'd probably go in the middle. Yep, 31. He actually scored 42 in total. And it's great. I'm actually like this. So, answers on a postcard. The answer what they actually say. So, yeah, answers on a postcard. I do like that. So, we're, get, we're getting to, the, to the, the the back end of the magazine. And we're at the start of an eight-page special looking at the Scottish Cup, fifth round. And Danny McGrain takes a look at the upcoming Scottish Cup games after correctly predicting seven out of eight winners from the previous round. Now the first, the, the heading there is very Steve Clarkish, um, bye bye Rangers, it says there. Um, and it says Gallagher can snatch it for United, says Danny McGrain. So for Dundee United, as they take on Rangers, Danny says he, he goes for United, who were one of his tips for, for the final from the start. If United can keep Walters and McCoy quiet, he fancies their chances and sees the tremendous pace of Kevin Gallagher as the weapon on the side of United. Bank on Frank, so Celtic take on Hearts in the other game. And Danny goes for Celtic, who he reckons have enough to see off the Jambos thanks to Frank McAvenny's match-winning skills. He does reckon Paddy Bonner will need to keep John Robertson and John Colquhoun quiet, though. On Alloa versus Hibs, uh, yep, Alloa versus Hibs, uh, Danny salutes Alloa for the great achievement in getting this far, but doesn't see them getting past Hibs with so many qual- so much quality in their side. He singles out Andy Gorham and Steve Archibald as two examples, and that, that's certainly a bit of quality there. And now the good news, Morton take on St. Johnson. So Danny's already incorrectly predicted that Morton would go out in two previous rounds. Is for them to go out again this time. So Danny backs up his choice of Saints to go through by saying, I've seen them three times this season, and they strike me as one of the best footballing sides in the first division. So shoot then goes into each of the games in detail, but we'll just have a look at the Morton versus St. Johnson one. And pages 34 and 35. And Totten's Hotspurs can come of age. And it says the quarterfinal tie is all an all-first division affair. Saints boss Alec Totten says, 
There could hardly be a greater incentive for Morton or ourselves. A place in the last four is an exciting prospect and there's everything to play for. I have a great deal of respect for Morton and Capelo is a difficult place to go at the best of times. But we have every right, right to be confident. We're one of the best sides in the first division. I would fancy our chances against any team at this level. Now St Johnson have just been promoted from the second division and are about to move into their new £4.5m stadium which Totten claims is a mini Ibrox. Totten combines managing with a full-time job as a tyre company representative and assembled his squad for £65,000, with winger Steve Maskery being the biggest bargain, having cost just £6,000 from Coon of the South. And there's a photo at the bottom that shows Morton keeper Dave Wiley in an acrobatic action shot with a caption, Wiley hasn't conceded a goal in the competition. So before we have a wee chat about that, just a spoiler, Rangers would draw 2-2 with United before winning 1-0 in the replay. Celtic would beat Hearts 2-1. Hibs squeeze through with a 1-0 win over Alloa. Morton St. Johnson would draw 2-2 with Saints going through in the replay with a 3-2 win. Uh, so Danny got 3 out of 4, right? Rangers um, in the semi-finals met St. Johnson. It was a 0-0 followed by a 4-0 Rangers win at Celtic Park. And Celtic beat Hibs 3-1 at Hamden. And so Celtic and Rangers in the final. 1-0 to Celtic with Joe Miller scoring, which I'm guessing was the one from the throw-in that wasn't his throw-in. Mm. That's that one. Yeah. So, you remember much about this cup run, Eric? I don't remember anything before the Morton game, but I remember the Morton game well, yes. Because first of all, my Saints were... It's not, we're not long into the Jeff Brown era, so, you know... The real bad times were still fresh in the mind of St. Johnston fans, but Taunton had taken them up from the old, well, it would have been second division the year before with Air United, Ali McLeod's Air United, they were the two teams that came up. So he'd, he'd got things moving. And that season, yeah, I think the league table had showed you, they, 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 they kind of looked like they might get themselves in the promotional race, but, you know, tucked in the middle. But it, it kind of the emphasis quickly switched, or not quickly, but the, by that stage, it was all on the cup, really. And that was the focus because I think after they got, after they beat Morton, and then everything was around the semi final. So the league results kind of just, just petered away type thing. But the big hype, there was big hype for the, for the first, I mean, it got postponed. So I'm presuming it was, I'm presuming it was, it was waterlogged pitch. But the first, Game at Morton was postponed on the Saturday, and then so they played it midweek, and uh, yeah, it was two-two as you say. I think Saints probably should have won it. I think two-one up, and against playing against ten men from memory, but it went back to went back to Muirton, and that's, that's one of the what was the last big game at Muirton Park? It was the last cup tie at Muirton Park, and it, it's 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 very very fondly remembered because it's one of those old games where kickoff was delayed. I think for twenty minutes because it was a you know, this was this was probably the first game where you really realised that there was a, a real sort of fan base untapped that Tottenham had kind of got back into. So I think the crowd was over 8,000 that night, whereas it, it was 6,000 at, at Morton. So that gives you a bit of an idea of, you know, just the, the sort of fan bases, the, the potential that was there. So from memory... Saints thoroughly deserved their win. I think they conceded one quite late to make the scoreline three two. But the, the big the big story in the build up was John Spencer being on loan at at, uh, at Morton from Rangers, and you know it's, 
nowadays, you know, short-term loans and all the rest of it, you know, it's just nobody would bat an eyelid. But back then, it didn't really happen much, did it? You know, sort of the bigger teams put out a player and it was all, it all felt a wee bit wrong, you know? It, it, it was a bit of a ringer type thing, you know, yeah. pitching up in a, on a Sunday morning when he shouldn't, you know, and he's signed for another club type thing. But as it turned out, Saints handled Spencer pretty well and Maskery was the... The star turn. He was the he was the star of that team, and it's a, it's a real that end of the mutiny era, start of the McDermott era. It's a real nostalgia fest for St Johnston fans. You know, obviously we talked about what they sort of what they're living through just now, but people of my age and a wee bit older still have an incredible affection for that Totten era when he took them up, and of course next season they would go and get promoted. In the first season of McDermott, playing in front of huge crowds now when you're talking about, I mean, St. Johnson will never get crowds like that again. It doesn't matter if they win another double next season. You know, I mean, they were averaging, you'd be getting 8,000 for a home game against Aloe and stuff like that. You know, it just, it was a time and a place, really. And that last, that was the sort of last of the part-time era. You know, they were part-time then, they, would be, they were part-time the year they got promotion. And then after that, it flipped to full-time and, and things changed. But, yeah, Totten, I mean, it's funny how he was a car, he was a car, car salesman, but, I mean, the guy was a, he was a, he was a, he was a salesman for, for the football club. He was, he was just unbelievable for the, the gift of the gab and just, you know, he would have the lines about, you know, he was always dropping in Shul Shankly stories, you know, from when he was at Liverpool and Jock Wallace, Marble Staircase, he said there, many Ibrox, you know, yeah. it was... He was just, he was a guy that could, could got, had St. Johnson fans eating out the palm of their hand. So, yeah, that's, that's that moment in time. Semi final was, was huge. You know, they got a draw against Sunis's peak Sunis team, you know, at, at the part timers at, at Celtic Park and then lost in the replay. Steve Maskley wasn't fit for the, the first game, which was a huge thing. So, who knows what might have happened if he'd been fit. But, yeah, that was, that was the day at Hillsborough as well. So it kind of gets sort of mixed feelings when St. Johnson fans look back in that one because, you know, as soon as you get out, folk were hearing about what had happened down the, down the road. But, yeah, it was, a, it, was a, it was a huge few weeks for them. And then that was the last, that Morton game was the last cup, Scottish, the last cup tie at Muirton. And then within a few weeks, they were, they were off. Hmm. So now we're talking about them. So let's move on to the back page. So let's straighten this up. There we go. So we've got the, the team photo of St. Johnson. So you want to talk us through this when we can have a wee chat about the bib strip as well, which is, is the bib strip's never worked for me, you know, the, whether it be um, St. Mirren or any other team. But I actually think that's okay. It's, it's, I think, yeah, Saints fans are nostalgic about that home kit, I would think, because I think, yeah, Saints was one of the better ones, wasn't it? There was a lot of them around. The Hamilton were as well, weren't they? You mentioned Clyde Bank. There was a, there was a good few, but there's some, there's some Saints legends in amongst that lot. And like, you go in the back road, Duke Barn, he got a testimonial top left. Then you got a couple other ones. I mean, Willie Waters was a bit of a cult hero. Come up, probably Kilmarnock fans remember him just as affectionately, possibly even more so than St. Johnson fans. Then we've got Tommy Coyle. A man you know well, yep. Owen's big brother, and I did an interview with Owen a few weeks, well, a few months ago. I think it was to in build up to the Saints Hibs Betfred semi. 
he remembers and he's I mean he's he's cut for Alec Taunton's cloth, you know. He still comes away with all the lines and he said that when he became St Johnston manager, he remembered Tommy's era and that that game at Muirton and all that sort of spell. You know, Tommy Coyle had no pace, but he was a classy player. Um, back top right, you got Grant Jenkins when beards were beards, eh? Before Xander Clarks, there's a proper <laughs> proper beard. He was a Persia boy. Middle row, Paul Cherry was a bit of a club legend. Sammy Johnston, Alan Johnston's big brother, a classy midfielder with no pace, but he was he was the fans he was the fans' favourite out of that team. Gary Thompson, uh, yeah, Gary Thompson now passed away, unfortunately, I think. Uh, Stuart Sorby, a couple of boys I was at school with, boy Davy Elder in the middle. He was never a, he never became a first team player, you know. You got a couple, but he was, yeah, he was a Perth boy. Then you're into guys in the middle that are Kenny Thompson, another sort of seasoned veteran. Stevie Maskery, the star of it. Tommy Campbell, well known through going for for and all the rest of it. Don McVicker, another guy who died, unfortunately, but he was the, the captain of that team. And another boy I was at school with, too, the, Scott McIntyre, another guy that didn't make it, but was, yeah, another local lad. So, yeah, it's a mixture. You're quite, this, this team, not many of that team would have been in the promotion side. I'm thinking, you know, four or five of them probably. That team started to break up the next season. And you got your, uh, yeah, I don't know why, yeah. Uh, Am I not seeing it? Is Roddy, Roddy's not in that, but Roddy Grant's not in that picture, is he? No, I don't so, think so. It's him there. No. I don't know why Roddy wouldn't have been in that team photo, but there you go. It's, uh, so, yeah, there's you guys like Alan Moore and that would, would come in the next season, but aye, that was the end of the real sort of the ones that took them up from the second division to the first division, and then things picked up another another level after that. Anything about the the team photo, Tom, that you want to pick out? Interesting, like you were saying there about the old style beers, but there's, there's some sort of old school looking footballers there with, with the short hair and the moustaches, and then you've got a few wee spiky uh, blonde highlights and uh, and there's young fresh face kids in there as well as a real sort of mix of your hardened footballers and your. your uh, I think I showed you that at that stage that there wasn't. That's everybody apart. I mean, I mentioned Rory, but the, the, the kids are in there as well, you know. So it was not a, it was not a big squad by any stretch of the imagination, and they all get I don't know. It's some some of them get their full name, Stephen Maskery, but then you got Tom Coyle, and I, I don't know anybody that knew him as Tom Coyle, but yeah. uh, and, and Samuel Johnson. But uh, yeah, I just think it's interesting with the away because the away is red with a white bib, so they both get a white bib. Just, just think that it's just think that it's interesting because both both strips have got that sort of predominantly on the chest, the same colour. And the red and white now that was they had they had one sort of red and white stripe uh, change kit when they got not long after they got promoted. You can picture your Sergei Baltaches and that and that, but it's not a it's not a change kit that's mm-hmm. traditional to Saints or that's kind of they've gone back to in, in recent years. Is it strange because? But, I've just noticed that I just thought they were like the the same kit but different colours but the collar and cuffs no the collar's different yeah yeah it's a, it's a different style and um, I mean the the one because the, the blue stripe on the the collar is right on the edge isn't it whereas mm-hmm. with the red one it's it's down the middle down the middle of the collar 
Yeah, that's very strange. And the goalkeeper, goalkeeper's kits were rubbish back then. Yeah, the match winner ones were awful, weren't they? Yeah. They're like, like a blurry telly, aren't they? Horrendous. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that's a classic. For me, that is the classic Scottish football. I don't know about you guys. The Mitre Delta. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. The English one was red, wasn't it? It was identical, but red. But no, I remember there's a, there's a kind of, I wouldn't say an iconic photo, but of that say it probably would have been around the same time for the photo. It would have been just after because before in the, the match programme in the semi final, you had a picture of Don McVicker, the captain in the middle, and they'd obviously done it at training. And he had he was bent, he was kneeling down, and his his tracksuit bottoms had a big hole in the knee. And I think that kind of that that summed up that sort of era and the sort of no frills about it. I mean, Muir Park was falling apart by that stage, you know. I love that. Um, I can think of possibly post as a photograph. No, it was John Brownlee, I think, um, in a Scotland kit kneeling down, and he's he's got a pair of football boots on. Adidas, and the white bits of like sort of the stitchings come off so that yeah peeling off a bit you know and it's like that, that's because that's what it used to be you wouldn't get two or three new pairs of boots a season that oh. would do you about three years or something you know until until they literally fell apart yeah mm-hmm. you know it's like you you would have the, the tongue would be separate from the boot and you'd have mm-hmm. to keep putting it in and that's just the way it was so, but I, yeah that that's I like that sort of thing Absolutely. And uh, Eric is is the famous Grouse an iconic sponsor? Yeah, I would say so. I would say so. It's uh, it lasted into the into the top. Of, of, I'm trying to think. Did they maybe did they go elsewhere and then famous Grouse came back? But yeah, they certainly. I think they. I think they might have. They switched to because the promotion there was Low and Bonner, which was I, I don't know if it was fabrics or what anyway I, mean, I think it was a dundee coming but famous brick grouse came back i'm sure there was a break and then it came but yeah famous grouses you it does know, look quite smart it's, it's sponsors on mm-hmm. kit school yeah and smart. the bib helps that like when we went back in the brentford thing don't we it's it's uh i, I think the sponsors would be happy with that yeah i, I did uh probably a few years ago about retro say, sponsors yeah retro sponsors so i put the iconic sponsors of a team on an old football photo. So mm. I did one of John Connolly at St. Johnson with, you know, just the blue, the blue kit, mm-hmm. white collar, but I put the, the famous Grouse sponsor over it. And it's amazing how many, many of them just looked right and yeah. it just made the, the kit suddenly seem of this era. You know, yeah, it, I think because the famous Grouse, because it's a, it's a local whiskey, you know, that was, and, I, and from memory, I think the next time it was on the kit, in the Premier, like I say, somebody will correct me if, it, if it, there wasn't a break. I'm sure there was a break. It was curved. So if you could picture like a John Ingalls or somebody, and it was like a baggier shirt. It was a Buckter shirt. You know the one I mean? Yeah. With a, with a collar. And the, the famous Grouse was, was on a curve rather than running straight. I mean, it is a long, it's a long, it's a long <laughs> one to get in, to be fair, you know? Yeah. That's, you need that Brentford centre half really to do it justice, don't you? <laughs> yeah, they probably want a, a bigger font, famous Grouse, aren't they? So we're, we're paying for the font size. Come on. Yes. I think I think actually the one I did in John Connolly that in my memory, I think that was a curved one. So yeah, that's probably from that that sort of era strip as well. Okay, so we've got to the end of the magazine. Thank you for for doing that, Eric. Um, just to catch up. So what what's going on with you at the moment? What what's going on? 
with your life, with your work? Anything you want no, to tell us about? Just had a week off, so I, I needed it after the after all those. I mean, never going to complain about all the uh, <laughs> all the cup finals and the cup semi-finals and all the rest of it with yeah. Saints. So, but uh, yeah, it it dragged. It did drag on. So I'll be back, coming back to cover the Euros. Mm. So I'm accredited for the, the three group games. So we'll see what that goes, and then then it'll be Saints in Europe. Yeah. So yeah, busy, busy. That's brilliant. Yeah, hopefully, I'm I'm guessing you'll be going out to cover them as well, if That's possible. That's good. I mean, they're guaranteed. I mean, it changes all the time, but I think the latest is I've guaranteed two, two, uh, two ties. If they lose, they lose their Europa League qualifier. They win, well, if they win that, they go into the Europa League playoff by that. And then if they lost that, they would be guaranteed group stage of the, the new Conference League. And if they lose their first game, this Europa League qualifier, they would be they'd get another shot at getting into the Europa Conference League. So I think they're guaranteed two rounds of European football, and they go in a bit later as well. And go, I think it's August that they get going again, which is a bit more civilized. Hmm. Now listen, um, thank you for joining us. It's been an absolute no, pleasure I talking to you. Enjoyed again. that, guys. Tom, thank you as always for being Tom. Thanks, Andy. Until the next time. Let's shoot the breeze.